to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-889. Three six seven five. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is common sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. All right. You're listening to another exciting adventure here on Blog Talk Radio, live on BTR. Oh, good Lord. Am I screwing the show up before we even start? <laughs> oh, God. Funded Press, SHR Media, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. God, the heck with it. <laughs> Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, Southern hyphensense.com. I'm your screwed up hostess, the hostess, the radio chick, Annie, along with my oh so patient <laughs> and recovering those Curtis C.S. Bennett. Oh man, Curtis, we haven't even started. I'm already messing up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just glad to be back. Um, it's been a week. And I've been battling this uh, pneumonia. It's a rare strain, and um, they put me on two antibiotics. That's that's how bad things have gotten with the overuse of antibiotics. And maybe we can get somebody on the show one of these days to talk about that. But I'm doing a lot better, and I'm happy to be back. Oh man, I'm just hoping I don't end up with pneumonia or whatever because uh, we we did the show September 13th. Uh, I felt like I was coming down with a sinus infection, so I went into my medicine cabinet after we got off air. I took an antibiotic I've been taking for years, and within 10 minutes, I started going into anaphylactic shock, and uh, my husband, Yanni, had to rush me over to the ER. My face was so grossly swollen. My lips were out like about two inches. Uh, Mm. My tongue was swollen. It was hard to breathe. And uh, they had me, they had to rush me into a special room because I was starting to code. And they said the only thing that really saved me was the fact that in my training as a police officer, you know, for emergency circumstances, is that I knew to take a Benadryl and took it just before I got into the car and it it, it slowed things down. But when I hear about antibiotics, I go, oh, no, 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 stay away from me. (laughs) Stay away. Because I now have carry an EpiPen. I don't know if anyone's noticed that I carry, I wear a silver bracelet on my wrist. It actually happens to be a medical alert bracelet because the allergies I've developed because of medical circumstances can actually, you know, cost me my life. So I have to be careful. So, you know, my prayers are with you. Oh, geez. Antibiotics and me. Uh Uh-uh. Same sentence. -uh. No, we're not going to talk about that. Oh, I wanted to mention (laughs) first because I play you that commercial at the start of each show for um, uh, My Patriot uh, Foods, and I actually mm-hmm. have them on the shelf. And when I ordered the sample, the reason why I ordered it because it's low in sodium. So if anyone has a problem with high blood pressure or any other sort of uh, coronary disease that they have to worry about the salt intake, My Patriot Supply has low, the lowest sodium than any other, you know, these these uh, companies that sell their, you know, survival med, uh, foods. So, yeah, we keep them on the shelf. This grown little horse here. So Good. despite the fact that, you know, I have my freezers are stopped. I've got a deep freeze. I've got a refrigerator in the garage, and the freezer is packed with, you know, foods. The refrigerator itself is packed with stuff I jar myself, you know, sauces, soups, and things like that. I have in the uh, refrigerator part. So I have enough food just in my freezers alone to help us survive for a month as long as we have them powered up on the generator. 
But if you don't have a setup like I have, my Patriot food is a great thing to have because all you have to do is just have the ability to boil water. Start a campfire, you know, light up your barbecue, boil a little water, pour it into the pouch, and within minutes you've got yourself food, good, healthy, nutritious food. So honestly, guys, when I play that commercial, it's because I have it on my shelf. Anyway, welcome everyone to our show. We've got an exciting, exciting lineup, a lot to talk about, not just the impeachment, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. Uh, we'll be talking to uh, Tom Delbacaro. Um, and Curtis, you turn on your speaker because I just heard an echo. Um, we're also going to have Tisha Powell. She has a new book out titled Trump Must Win, which is new up on Amazon. Uh, John Tammany, whose book was They're Both Wrong, talking about the problems with both political parties. Uh, but he'll be talking to us about the impeachment, the U.S. Uh, MCA trade agreements. Uh, the economy, uh, jobs, and a lot of other stuff that's going on. And then we're going to have a tag team at the top of the show, the last hour of the show, bringing back Daphne Barak and Bill Ganasti. Uh, she wrote the uh, one book about um, to plea or not to plea about Rick Gates, and we'll talk about that sentencing and what the government did to him. It's, it's, it's just unforgivable what they've done to this poor man. And Bill Ganassi is going to be talking to us about the situations going on between the United States and Turkey and the Middle East. So, I mean, it's a bang-up show. It's going to be nonstop, absolutely nonstop. Well, I'm looking forward to it. All right. I want to welcome everyone that's uh, here in our um, chat room. In the, in the chat room. Thank you. <laughs> Brain farts already, <laughs> and I haven't even started. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Everyone that's up in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as those that are listening live over on uh, Facebook, uh, we're going to have a blast. A really, really, really good show. Um, thank you for joining us. But I want to mention uh, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And sadly, even still today, we have heroes still dying because they had been working at Ground Zero on 9-11. And today's show is going out to one of those heroes. It is going out to police officer William James Leahy of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey Police Department. His end of watch was this June, on June 6th, Thursday of this year. And there wasn't a heck of a lot written about him, so I had to go through various sources. And one of them was his obituary. And the obituary was rather terse. It just reads, William James Leahy of Levittown, New York, on June 6, 2019, at the age of 49, devoted son of William and Kathleen, adored brother of Teresa Zavab, and cherished uncle of Sean and Connor, beloved nephew and cousin, proud police officer with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey Police Department for over 27 years and a 9-11 first responder. And then I found this on the Officer Dan Memorial page, which you can find at odmp.org. 
and it reads, Police Officer William Leahy died as a result of cancer that he developed following his assignment to the search and rescue efforts at the World Trade Center following the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Officer Leahy had served with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey Police Department for 26 years and was assigned to the John F. Kennedy International Airport. He is survived by his parents. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, 72, that is 72 officers from a total of eight local, state, and federal agencies were killed when terrorist hijackers working for the Al-Qaeda terrorist network headed by Osama bin Laden crashed four hijacked planes into the World Trade Center towers in New York City, the Pentagon in Arlington, Virginia, and a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. After the impact of the first plane into the World Trade Center's North Tower, putting the safety of others before their own, law enforcement officers, along with fire and EMS personnel, rushed to the burning Twin Towers of the World Trade Center to aid the victims and lead them to safety. Due to their quick actions, it is estimated that over 25,000 people were saved. As the evacuation continued, the South Tower unexpectedly collapsed as a result of the intense fire caused by the impact. The North Tower collapsed a short time later. 71 law enforcement members, 343 members of the New York City Fire Department, and over 2,800 civilians were killed at the World Trade Center site. A third hijacked plane crashed into a field in rural Pennsylvania when the passengers attempted to retake control of the plane. One law enforcement officer who was a passenger on the airplane was killed in that crash. The fourth hijacked plane was crashed into the Pentagon in Arlington, Virginia, killing almost 200 military and civilian personnel. No law enforcement officers were killed at the Pentagon on 9-11. The terrorist attacks resulted in the declaration of war against the Taliban regime. The illegal rulers of Afghanistan and the Al-Qaeda terrorist network, which was also based in Afghanistan. On September 9, 2005, all of the public safety officers killed on September 11, 2001, were posthumously awarded the 9-11 Heroes Medal of Valor by President George W. Bush. The contamination in the air at the World Trade Center site caused many rescue personnel to become extremely ill and eventually led to the death of several rescue workers, one of whom is police officer William James Leahy. On May 1st, 2001, members of the United States military conducted a raid on a compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan, and killed Osama bin Laden. And this, was written by Dadeen Zuo, listed in Newsday, which you can find at newsday.com. William James Leahy, a longtime Port Authority officer involved in the rescue and recovery efforts after the 9-11 attacks, was a straight-up John Wayne type of guy who was always caring, funny, 
and loyal, family and friends said. He was a straight shooter. You never had to guess whether he liked you or not, said Dante Castro Rieso, 57, of Massapequa, a fellow police officer who worked with Leahy for more than two decades at the Port Authority Police Department. If, you li- if he liked you, you'd know it. If he'd got a problem with you, he wouldn't hide it. Leahy of Levittown died Thursday, June 6th, of the effects of cancer. He was 49 years old. Leahy worked for a year with the NYPD and then joined the Port Authority in 1993 and worked in the agency's Marine Cargo and Heavy Weapons Unit and the Plain Clothes Unit at Kennedy Airport, according to Lennis Rodriguez, a Port Authority spokeswoman. He took his work seriously, but also did it with a sense of humor, she said. He wouldn't say a lot of funny things without smiling. He's that type of guy, you know. If I had to describe him to anybody, you can describe him as a John Wayne type of guy. Although he came off a little bit rough, there was definitely a soft side to him. During his 26-year career with the Port Authority, Leahy participated in the efforts after 9-11. Castro Rieso, who was also part of the rescue and recovery team, said they spent days going through the rubble, looking for survivors and trying to recover any human remains. He didn't view himself as the hero in any way. He was a very modest person. Born in the Bronx, Leahy grew up in Hicksville and attended Hicksville High School and had close relationship with his family. His family later moved to Suffolk County. He loved his family. He loved his community. His mother, Kathleen Leahy of Miller Place, said, He called me every day. There wasn't a day he didn't call. During the daily conversations, his parents said, they talked about everything from politics to sports. Leahy was a big fan of the New York Yankees, Jets, Rangers, and Knicks, but not the Mets, said his father, William Leahy of Miller Place. He was rough and tough, but had the biggest heart around, his father said. The day he became a police officer, we were so proud. We couldn't be prouder. Leahy's sister, Teresa Saab of Griswold, Connecticut, described him as reliable. He was a very strong man, very loyal. He was a good guy all around. She said in a phone interview, choking up tears as she spoke, I always knew he'd be there for me. Leahy is survived by his parents and sister. Services were held at Charles J. O'Shea Funeral Home in East Meadow. A mass was offered at St. Louis de Montfort Roman Catholic Church in Sound Beach, followed by his burial at St. Charles Cemetery in East Farmingdale. Today's show is dedicated to Officer William James Leahy. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as our first responders, whether they are police officers, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this great nation through today and into its proud and wonderful future. We dedicate to them 
this song by Todd Allen Harrington. My name is America. I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends When I'm attacked I protect and defend
All right, and we're back. You're here listening to Sudden Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHRM Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Ah, just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most, just the whacked up, cracked up radio chick, Annie, along with my oh-so-patient co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Oh, man, Curtis, this is going to be one of those days. (laughs) Oh, geez. I don't know what I'm doing here. (laughs) You with me, Curtis? Unmute yourself. Ah, Curtis, you're muted. Uh, come on, Curtis, unmute. Oh. I'm not I'm the only one that's messed up today. <laughs> Strange thing, I never did that, man. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we're here to educate and enlighten. A whole yeah, lot more man, than a piss off as many people. Just also to piss off as many people as possible, too. <laughs> <laughs> We'll yeah. that. So what do you think uh, of what do you think of um, Pelosi's stonewalling? Oh man, you know how much tax dollars have have been wasted. How much time? There's so many more things that could be done. You know, VA benefits. Take care of our military men and women. You know, um, we we have so much more work. We've got infrastructures across the nation, roads that are crumbling, and bridges that are crumbling. There's more important things to do than the crap they have laid at our feet and and can't even come up with actual criminal charges. Now she's going to hold it up. All right, you made this whole big blue. You had this whole big show going on. Let's bring these witnesses forward. Let's have them testify, and, you know, second, third, fourth, and fifth hand testimony. So you've done it. You put your foot in it. You made the mold. Now take it. Bring it over to the Senate. And let's have everything out in the open. You started it. Now let's finish it. Unless you feel like what you realize is that you made a big mistake. If that's the case, then why would you even start it if you weren't ready to follow through to the end? If you really think he's that bad, if you think this nation is going to hell in a handbasket when we've got record unemployment going on, we've got businesses leaving Europe. Asia and Mexico coming back to the United States, bringing more jobs. We've got people that now have more money in their paycheck, more disposable income. Things are going up when we were sliding deeply from a recession almost into a depression. And we're back. We're back. I watched my mom's investment that, that my dad set up for her. And when he passed away, she had me keep an eye on it for her, and it went way down prior to Trump's being elected. I mean, not just a few dollars. We're talking five-digit down. And she is not only back, but she's above what she had. I mean, you're, you're seeing the stock market up. So if you did this, if you took the time and our taxpaying dollars and had this whole big two different committees looking to investigate and impeach the sitting president you've got the articles of impeachment as weak as they are if you think you did the right thing then pelosi walk them across the hall over to the senate and hand them to mitch mcconnell and let's get it over with and done with my rant for the day from what i understand he's not really impeached until they complete the process of um, 
handing over the articles to the Senate. So technically, exactly. he's not impeached, mm-hmm. even though they're high fiving each other all across the airwaves. Doesn't mean a thing right now. Exactly. Now you know they say three presidents have been impeached. No, only two. Only two presidents have ever been impeached, and that was uh, Johnson and that was um, uh, Clinton. Because if you yeah, remember, um, Richard Nixon, before they could walk those articles of impeachment over to the Senate, he resigned. So he has not been impeached. Articles of impeachment no. were presented, but never given to the Senate. So that's only two. If Pelosi walks across the aisle and brings it to the Senate, that will then make Donald Trump the third one to be impeached. But they're saying and now, the first I'm hearing... Uh, yeah, Andrew Johnson, yeah, Andrew Johnson wasn't a Republican. Back in those days, you could have a, a president of one party and a vice president of another party. At that time, you voted separately for president and vice president. It wasn't a one party ticket, yeah. So yeah. Andrew Johnson and, and Bubba Boy, Democrats, <laughs> now they're trying to get Trump. <laughs> Good old Bubba. Good old Bubba. Jeffrey Epstein's best friend. Oh, man. Epstein. Yeah. I heard uh-huh. he visited that island about 21 times, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they don't want Epstein's past to come forward because it will involve a lot of people, high ranking people. Because it wasn't just Bubba Clinton. There was a lot of other bigwigs that were on those planes with those young girls. So People from the monarch. It's, it's, well. Prince Andrew well, we'll another see. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with these Andrews? You notice how, the, uh, you notice how Buckingham Palace backpedaled Prince Andrew all the way back. Oh, yeah. He's, they clammed down. Oh, yeah. They circled the wagons. <laughs> He said he couldn't have been there because he had a certain condition that prevented him from being intimate. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. No. The guy no, was no. a frequent <laughs> flyer there. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Um, we're waiting for our first guest to call in, Tom Del Beccaro. And uh, because you were out sick, I wasn't able to you know, call the guest at the same time as, you know, hosting the show. Uh, it's not as easy as people think to walk and chew gum at the same time. Oh, uh, yeah. But I'm going to be – I, I do appreciate Mike's um, standing in for me, too, Mike Hill. Yeah. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to – right now I'm emailing you uh, Tom's number, so check your email. Um, because if he doesn't call in shortly, I'm going to ask you to give him a call. All right? So uh, if I can hit the right keys. And email is on its way to you. All right. Um, I don't know. Where am I going from here? Jeez. (laughs) Oh. Well. uh, Go ahead, Curtis. We can always talk about the new polls out now that shows – Trump beating Biden, Warren, 
and and all those guys by I mean huge numbers, huge numbers, and uh, you know just just keep getting better for Trump. And I think the longer they drag this out, the more powerful and more popular he'll become. Because there's a lot of Democrats are rooting for him now. They won't come out and say it. But uh, and then we also have that one Democrat who um, crossed the aisles last week. I believe he's going to become a Republican, and there may be more defections. Yeah, yeah John John Van Du was at the Oval Office yesterday, making it official that he is crossing over. Uh, there are two others that may also be changing party. Um, I had one of the names written down, but I forget. It was one of the ones that voted no on the impeachment. Uh, so we'll we'll see. Uh, it, and then you, Gabby, uh, she at, voted president, so I think she might turn Republican too. She I don't know pre- about that. I don't, I don't know about Tulsi Gabbard becoming a Republican, um, but she is one of the more moderate of Democrats, a more of an old school type of Democrat. You know, ones that like our parents and grandparents were like, more along the lines of John Kennedy, not this liberal socialist progressive that they've they've become, were free money. And if you listen to the debate last night, uh, Yin Yang was, again, pressing for his um, (laughs) monthly. Yin Yang. I like that. (laughs) Every person gets $1,000. All right, who's paying for that, please? Tell me that. Gee, it sounds so very nice. I'd love to have an extra thousand dollars, you know, come into my household and not have to work for it. But who's paying for it? Someone has to pay for it. And if you're out there now and you are currently working and you are paying taxes, you're going to see your taxes go up so that some lazy ass person can sit at home, collect welfare, collect Section 8 housing, collect food stamps, collect the free Obama phone, collect free college tuition, and then throw in Yin Yang's $1,000. So you're working your butt off. You're doing everything to make sure that you're living a good life and your family is taken care of, but your taxes are going to go up because some lazy ass person is going to sit down and get a free $1,000 coming into their household courtesy of you. Great idea. And then you listen to Bernie Sanders. Free Medicare for all. Uh, Excuse me, Bernie Sanders. People that receive Medicare have that premium taken out of their Social Security check. I'm sorry, Bernie. I pay for my Medicare. I paid for it when I was working, and it came out as a tax. that I paid for through the payroll all the years I worked all my life. And then once I got onto social, onto social Security, it comes out of my check every month. My husband on Social Security, it comes out of his check every month. Whether or not he visits a doctor or not, that premium comes out every month. Medicaid is free. Medicaid is for those who can't afford, who are on the poverty level. But even that's being abused. Even that is being abused. So the things that taxpayers are paying for are being badly abused. It's being taken over by people that don't deserve it, haven't earned it, and really couldn't quite necessarily need it. Man, am I on a rant today. 
<laughs> I guess I guess I got riled up watching the Democrats debate last night, and uh, God bless my husband. I love this man to, to bits. <laughs> I am so lucky. Uh, he's he's watching it, and we're actually hysterical, laughing at some of the questions and answers. And he goes, "This is better than." watching Red Skelton reruns and Carol Burnett's show. It is it was hysterical. Absolutely hysterical. But it looks like we've got our guest in on the line. Uh, let's bring along and see if we have. Do we have Tom uh, Del Picaro with us? I do. Thanks so much. You do. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. I was doing a rant on watching the Democratic debate last night. And God bless my husband. I love this man to bits. And he he looks over at me because we're we're actually sitting there hysterically laughing at some of the questions and comments. He goes, "This is better than watching Red Skelton reruns or the Carol Burnett show." I mean, I, I don't. Yes, but those those shows <laughs> those shows were much less painful in the long run than watching those Democrat debates. Look, they are. I I liken them to the labeled. Labor Party in England in the 70s. They're just the party of government. They think government's the response to everything. It's going to guarantee jobs. It's going to give away everything free. And and that's who they are. You notice in these debates, there's almost no discussion of small business, which, of course, is responsible for, what, 80% of new jobs every year in America. That's they don't talk about it. All they talk about is government and raising ta- and by implication raising taxes. You know, it, it's funny because we have a guest coming on later on, T. Chappelle, who wrote a book, Trump Must Win. And it, I got to mention that you have a new book out also called The Divided Era and how timely that is. Um, but it's easy. It's, it's so easy to open a business here in the United States. Despite the fact we've got you know some odious regulations, try doing that in any other country in the world, and it's almost impossible. Now, unless you've got the, the huge buck behind you, and here a guy on a shoestring can start a business today, and then within a matter of months be able to hire people and give people jobs and benefits. Yeah, if you look about it, at it, most of the innovations in the world happen in America. They don't happen in the European Union or Australia or other places. People come here to start businesses. It's no mistake that Facebook's here, Twitter's here, Google started here. But the Democrats would kill a lot of that off if they had their way with all of their regulations. It's getting harder to start businesses in America, but fortunately Trump came along reduced taxes, reduced regulations, got government out of the way, and that's why the economy has responded so well. You know, it's funny because you and I are both from Long Island, and we're very similar in age. I'm not going to tell you how close. (laughs) Ladies don't tell. But, you know, I, I, I bought into a business. I took a college degree in business administration out of Nassau Community College, and, you know, two years out of high school, I was a small business owner. And when Reagan came into office, we expanded the number of people that worked for us from about five or six to 13. The, Trump is doing the very same thing. The same way Reagan was able to reduce regulations and ease taxes so that we could do these things, Trump is doing the same thing. And the backbone of America, the people that 
employed the largest number of Americans as well as legal immigrants are small businesses. Yeah, they're, they're responsible for 80% of the job startups and, and in a similar number, almost 80% of all the new jobs in the last five years have gone to minorities in this country. Why is that? Because the economy is expanding so much and the base of the employees has expanded so much that it's reaching virtually everyone. And now that USMCA is passed and the phase one of the China deal, you can expect expect an expansion of the economy next year to reach even farther and to raise wages. It's a simple formula. The less something costs, the more of it you get. That's called the law of demand in economics. The less something costs, including employees, the more of them you get. And the Democrats don't understand that. They don't, they don't have real jobs in their lifetime. And they think that, you know, you just pass laws and things work. no, Laws tend to uh, act like a wet blanket on the economy, and they'll never understand that. But Trump, of course, does. He's a businessman. He understands budgets and costs. Unfortunately so. Uh, I don't know where the Democrats go from here. They're having trouble with impeachment. Apparently they didn't realize that you're supposed to send it over to the Senate when they started this. But they're, what's their <laughs> message next year? Government takeover, which isn't popular when the economy is growing. No, it's not. And you mentioned the uh, USMCA, and um, there was a piece over in Fox Business that I pulled up on this one. And uh, the bill is on its way over to the Senate for Mitch McConnell to present it. Um, But I loved it, the fact that Nancy Pelosi is taking credit for it. And my husband and I looked at each other, wait, 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 wait. Let's stop right here. Who sat down and negotiated with the president of Mexico and the premier of uh, Canada, as our, our unfortunately deceased friend Kel used to call the shiny pony, uh, negotiated the terms of the USMCA and got everyone to on the same page. Who did that? It, it wasn't Pelosi who sat down and made these you know battles with these two world leaders. Uh, was she the one that turned around and creating 176 new jobs? which will inject $34 billion into our economy. Was she the one that sat down and said, well, you know, if you wanted the automobile components and stuff not to have tariffs, then 75% of these components now have to be produced in the United States. You know, increasing the, the wage of the people working in those industries to 16 not 15 but $16 an hour. Did Pelosi do that or did someone else do that, Tom? Uh, Yeah, you know, this is typical of the Democrats. Pelosi blocked this for over a year. And the reason why she relented was because the FLCIO was tired of waiting for this to come through. And But CNN, NBC, ABC, the rest of them want to give credit to Nancy Pelosi for, for relenting. It's typical, the mentality, it's typical of government. When government allows it, they create it. That's their mentality. It's really a joke. Sorry for the background noise. I'm in JFK, headed out. Uh, But, yeah, it's typical of today. She stalls it for a year and then takes credit because she relents. Well, I got a funny story to tell you about uh, Kennedy Airport. 
because my dad uh, used to work for a company that did the high-fidelity equipment. He used to travel back and forth to Europe a lot. And the first time my mom drove him to the airport, we were living in Brentwood at the time, and they put the luggage tags on the um, his luggage. At, before, it was called Idlewild, and then they can't, turned it over and called it John F. Kennedy Airport. And as they're putting the tags on his luggage, they, she goes – Hey, they put your initials on your luggage. My father's initials were JFK. <laughs> Every time I think of John F. Kennedy, I think of my mom going, "Hey, they personalize your luggage." <laughs> so travel safe there. Right. Tom. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is that's funny that's though. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that's um, a great story. <laughs> and and she later on owned a travel agency. <laughs> On Long Island. So every time she books up for JFK, I'm going, aha, mom. <laughs> anyway, um, we were talking about the impeachment votes, and uh, Nancy Pelosi carried on. She wants it bipartisan. You know, she wants it where it's fair. It's going to divide the country, which it has. Uh, but we're, we're finding that there was no crossover. And they say that Justin Amash crossed over. No, no, no. Justin Amash was never a true Republican from day one. And he became an independent, so you can't even call that. But you had three Democrats cross over. One has now officially become a Republican. The other two are toying with the idea. But this, how much has this cost the American public, and how much work has not been done in Congress because of this? Well, if you look at the last three years of what they've been doing, they've wasted uh, well over $50 million dollars in this kind of stuff but and it's really what this is is taxpayer funded opposition research and smearing but this is all they got because socialism is never sold on the merits it's sold on the other people are really bad so vote for us the other people favor the rich and the rich are hurting the poor so vote for us the other people are out of control and there's societal discord so vote for us that's the Democrats' pro. That demonization is their program, and and that's all they got. It's probably why they want to hold on to this a little bit longer, because they don't really have anything to talk about except for to take away your health care insurance. Yeah, it, it's funny because they keep on dividing us. You're either Latino American, you're Black American, you're Hispanic American, you're this American, that American. And I like what my Lloyd, my friend Lloyd Marcus always says, I'm an unhyphenated American. And if you look at the way today's society is, we have such an intermingle of different races and cultures that we've never seen before. We truly are a melting pot, but they don't want us to be. They want us to be a tossed salad that goes rotten within a matter of a couple of days. And they want to divide us. How are we going to bring America forward progressively? if they continue to divide us. Well, that doesn't work, especially when you look at that. Their programs over the years have stalled economic growth, and when you have no economic growth, uh, groups turn upon each other. You had those that were here versus immigrants. During the Obama years, you had a lot of racial overtones. That's what happens when the economy stalls. But when the economy is growing, people do meld together. Back in the late 1800s, we had... Between 1860 and 1900, the U.S. population doubled. When you consider the fact that 700,000-plus died during the Civil War, that, that's a remarkable thing. Now, why don't we read that there was intense discord 
between the races that were coming over here during that period of time? The answer was because the economy increased 400%. People found jobs. They didn't fight each other. So the key is economic growth. And, and Kennedy understood that. My new piece at, at Fox News talks about this. When the country was divided, when Kennedy took office, keep in mind he was the first president to win having lost more states than he won. He came in and he set national economic goals that everyone could participate in, and Reagan did the same thing. So we got to stay on this path of a, of a growing economy so that people worry less about what their neighbors are doing because they themselves are doing well. When the Democrats get in power, the economy stagnates and people fight each other. Tom. You know, it's what this is my co-host Curtis. Go ahead, Curtis. Tom, you were once the head of the GOP party in California. Have Republicans given up on reclaiming California, or is there hope? And if there's hope, what do we need to do to um, overcome this deficiency that we have over there as a party? Well, the answer is there's always hope. Keep in mind that Pennsylvania uh, had Republican supermajorities, a former union, a union state. Wisconsin flipped to Republican. Michigan flipped to Republican. Uh, so you, and in those states, the Democrats did so poorly that voters were willing to switch and, and support the Republican Party. But that's only because in those states, Republicans gave a strong alternative policy a set of policies in order for california to to move to the right and towards sensibility what would have to happen is the republican party would have to offer strong alternatives to the terrible policies that are killing off the middle class in california right now they're not doing that i've advocated that for years when they wake up and do that sort of thing, you can expect things to improve, but not before. Uh, California is going to be a tough, tough, tough sell because because the policies in place, so many people of the middle class have moved out of there, either to Texas, Florida, or anywhere else. But yeah, you're very California. millions, literally millions, yeah. have done that. And it's hollowed out the middle class, and so what you have is the liberal rich, you, you have public employee unions, and the poor who, who are, in some cases, don't have enough money to move out of state. And, and that population is being replaced with, in significant part, by people who are dependent on welfare. And so California is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. That's a shameful thing because it's such a beautiful state. And at one point, California – was the breadbasket of the United States. They would, you know, all our avocados, pecans, fruits, vegetables were coming out of California. But because they killed the agricultural in California, we're seeing it come from Chile, uh, Argentina, anywhere else, but instead of grown here in the United States. We still have Idaho potatoes. Long Island was known for broccoli, cauliflower, potatoes. We don't see that on Long Island anymore. And they killed it on Long Island. They're killing it in California. It, it is a shame. Oh, corn, too. Sweet corn yeah, from Long Island. Right. Sweet they corn. Are, they, you can't find it. Yeah, they are killing it off. Actually, the Central Valley played a central role in 
ending world famine. But the politicians in Sacramento literally believe, literally, that farming hurts the environment. Now, the joke about that is, or the idiocy of that is, they are killing off farming, and that's resulting in imported food from China and Mexico, which use even more pesticides. So it's unhealthy and bad for the environment, but they don't think that that far out or that strategically. They just think if they pass the law, the world will get better. You know, don't get me started with these climate alarmists. I mean, you need CO2 for the forest and other plants to survive. Yeah, CO2 is a good thing. Um, yes, we do have a problem with pollution caused by smog and for some other plant outputs, you know, uh, manufacturing outputs. But that's become under control. And what I found was, and let me pull up these stats. I've got about an inch of notes here that. Since President Trump has taken office, a little-known fact is, is that he's been cleaning up the environment, and no one's been paying attention. And I'm looking for the notes, and I'll find it probably by the time you get off air. But no, but it's true that the United States, States, the United States is leading the world in the reduction of pollution without the Paris Accords, which the Paris Accord was a joke because India and China, where you know you go to what was Bombay, now Mumbai, and you have to walk around with, I, I went there in the 80s, different story, now you have to walk around with a mask, and sometimes you can't even see down the block. And so, uh, look, we, our environmental policies in that regard are ridiculous. You're right about CO2. Human beings are about 18.5% CO2, but then again, the left would like to outlaw human beings for the future as well. Well, here it is. I found it. The fact checks here uh, that pollutants have dropped. Emissions of key air pollutants have dropped since 2006, some by double digits. EPA commissions of all air pollutants dropped between 2016-2018, and lead and sulfur dioxide concentrations dropped by double-digit percentages during the same period. Uh, The EPA has cleaned up 109 bodies of water through the Clean Air Act since 2017 and partnered with states having awarded nearly $20 billion or more uh, for 4,500 clean uh, clean water projects. 2019, this year, the EPA eliminated all a part of 27 sites of Superfund lists of serious hazardous waste largest number in 15 years. We're not doing anything for the environment. Did you know that, Tom? Yeah, I, look, they, uh, Trump could give away winning lottery numbers and he would get blamed for wait, doing, waiting so long to do it and giving it to the wrong people. That's where we are in America today. But his high approval rating among uh, Latinos in the 30s and black Americans in the 30s would set records, and if he could, they actually voted in those amounts, uh, could lead to a comfortable victory this fall. Yeah, we're going to see a bash, uh, bash lack. <laughs> backlash uh, because of all the stuff that's going on. And, you know, I, I had a laugh because you know, I'm retired NYPD and um, retired back in 96, so I sometimes follow what's going on. And at one point, New York State passed a law that no one can carry more than seven rounds in their weapon and saying, oh, 
that's going to go real good in a gunfight. And I thought New, New York was really bad. They finally rescinded that law. But as of July 1st, in your sweet state of California, they passed a law that now makes it impossible for people, millions of people, to buy any ammunition because there's a gap in what is said on someone's ID and what is in the state's database to the point that a a sheriff at a Sutter County could not buy shotgun shells for his on-duty weapon because there was some sort of a little discrepancy between his ID and what the state database has. It's crazy. you got to show ID now just to buy rounds for your legally owned weapon. Yeah, well, that's California for you. It, 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 look, California passed a law that said if you assemble a gun, you've got to register it. Okay, law-abiding citizens do that. But if you're assembling guns as a criminal, you're not going to say in your head, okay, before I use this, I better go register it. But they don't, you know, politicians pass laws and claim they did something right by passing laws, and the actual results are not reported. And so California continues to move farther and farther left, killing off the middle class, and as we discussed, and we'll have to see how long it goes before it can make an uptick. Uh, it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy world out there. And I have so much to talk to you about, but I know that uh, um, you've got a lot on your mind. But what I loved was the way Donald Trump responded to the impeachment you know, charges. Uh, so he turns around, and there was a mime he put up of himself up on uh, Twitter, and it was said, in reality, they're not after me. They're after you. I'm just in the way. The way this man responds is so amazing. It's like the more you put on his shoulders, the better he is. Yeah, and he's not wrong. Look, the, the, the next Republican president is not going to be liked. If the next Republican president isn't for socialism, he's going to be hated or she's going to be hated too. So this is the Democrats are about raw power. They want government takeover of health care. Look, the Democrats are incredibly out of step historically. You don't have large takeovers of the economy in general unless there's a total collapse of the economy like we have with the Great Depression. That's when a lot of government programs came in. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying usually government grows in response to some significant problem. Right now, we don't have a significant economic problem that would warrant government takeover or even make that fashionable. I'm not for government takeover at all. But the point is, the economy is doing well, and the Democrats want to take over the economy. It's nuts. That it is. It is absolutely nuts. And uh, I don't see it getting any better anytime soon, but we've got to stay, you know, stay on the, uh, on the ball here. And I think the, the giant has been awoken across America. And one of the things we see is that the number of people that are coming forward out of the Republican Party to start running for office. Uh, we've got three young women that call themselves the Mod Squad that are coming forward in key states, one of them being Michigan, Florida. We're seeing people coming out of the woodwork. And I have a dear friend of mine I've known for the last 10 years. Um, 
he's coming forward to run for a seat in Congress out of Maryland's second district. He hasn't announced it officially yet, but he called me as a feeler and I said, go for it. Go for it, Jim. And we're seeing people that never before thought of doing a public office are saying, no, this has gone too far. It's time for action. Are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Well, yes. It, you know, it's it's always a good idea to get in early if you, for a potential wave because the, those who, who are too afraid to get in wind up regretting it. And I, I think the Democrats are going to have gone so far left that they can't return to the center. And I think it's it's better than 50-50 that they lose the House in the upcoming election, uh, in which case those who are brave enough to go in and, and run for office will be richly rewarded. Yeah, because uh, the Mod Squad is actually not three. It's four people. Uh, Jessica Taylor out of Alabama, Nancy Mace, who I know, she's a state representative here in South Carolina. Uh, she's going for uh, our District 1 here, which where I live. Uh, Beth Van Duane out of Texas, and Michelle Fishback out of Minnesota. Uh, you've got four women on the Republican side, and you're not seeing the Democrats as enthusiastic as I see Republicans being. And there's a number of women. I think California, there's 17 women running for office and a number of good congressional candidates with a good shot at taking some of those seat backs that were lost in the last election. Uh, And in districts where Trump won that the Democrat candidates voted for impeachment. So I look, I think, 2020 is going to be one of the ugliest years in American politics, but we had a we had our own Brexit vote in 2016. They just had another Brexit vote that that was dramatic in England, and we might have a dramatic vote for this fall as well. I have to run now, but I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, we'll welcome you back anytime, Tom. Have a blessed day. All right. And Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Tom Del Bel- Teeth in Backwards. Tom Del Bacaro. Find him at Tom T O M Del D L uh dot com. With link is up on the show page if anyone wants to see his, his website. Um meanwhile Curtis is calling our next guest and I am screwing myself up royally left and right here. <laughs> I want to thank everyone that's listening in here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News of, oh, good Lord, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. Those are on Facebook. I'm watching your comments. I'm trying to keep up with you guys. Thank you. You guys are aces. Some really great comments uh, coming up here. Stacey Lee wrote that uh, when I asked about how much money was being spent on uh, the impeachment, she's going, Probably millions with tons of dollar signs behind it. Uh, But this isn't just about impeaching Trump. It is a coup. But, you know, what I love is that uh, the way Trump's reaction to the articles of impeachment is he doesn't sit there and rant and rave and cry. He goes out and does a rally in Michigan in a battleground district. And if you looked at that crowd, it was unbelievable. A sea of red hats everywhere and people of all ages shapes sizes backgrounds black white 
Asian, Latino, all over. And it, it is an amazing thing to watch. And every now and then, just about every rally now, uh, they manage to slip in a troll. <laughs> Good Lord, the way he handles the situation when a troll comes into the room, it's it's also <laughs> it's also a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but we, ha- I have to tell you, you got to turn around and watch these these rallies out there. It is truly phenomenal the number of people that show up. And I think the stadium that he was in in Michigan, which was, I believe, Arrowhead Stadium, holds something like around five to 6,000 people. That's seated. You look at the, the floor of the arena, no seats. It is standing room only. And there's thousands of more people sta- in standing room only on the floor of the stadium. Try to find that at any other rally of any of these Democratic uh, candidates out there. And uh, I'm hoping, Curtis, where did you go? Curtis, uh, do we have our guest on the line, Curtis? She is waiting. Okay, let me just unmute her. And let's welcome aboard Tisha Powell. She's got a new book out called Trump Must Win. Good afternoon, Tisha. How are you today? Good. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, my co-host Curtis is a fellow Floridian with you. Yeah, so he's great, not your Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I'm looking. I printed out the notes on your book, and now I don't know what I just did with them. Oh, here we go. I got them. I got them. I got my act together here, Tisha. Sorry about that. <laughs> lovely, lovely. <laughs> oh, man. I, I enjoyed reading your book, and as I tell a lot of my authors, uh, normally when I, I read a person's book, I can – Get a feel of their personality and their voice. There's some that, you know, authors we get in here that, you know, someone else ghostwrited for them. And when you start talking to them, you know, uh, this was ghostwritten. This guy didn't write this book. That's the way he's talking. But I hear your voice powerfully in this book. And I, I we had a past guest on. Uh, she's not a past, but recent guest. She's been on quite a few times. She's the pastor to President Trump, Pastor Paula White Kane. And as Praise I was reading Lord, your yes. book, she has a very similar background as you do. She grew up not knowing Jesus. And as a young woman now, around the same age you were, you found and you became a believer. And I find that a powerful message when I hear it time and time again that people that are supporters of Trump, people that are you know, conservatives and Christian, coming from the very same background there. I think there's a conversion going on in the, in the United States here. No, that, that's so it is because that's what people are saying. They're like, I can't believe you're a black woman. You're a black lawyer. And you know, like, you know, I, I got fight with my family. They said, I'm a disgrace to them. Cause I wrote a book. Uh, they, they said that they cannot, they said, why did you use your talent to do this? And I said to them, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's, For the first time in my life, I get to write a political book, and I get to bring glory to Jesus. Why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I do that? President Trump, he's not a perfect person, but he's doing a lot for the Christian community. We got to accept that and be grateful for it. You know, Israel is very important to Jesus. So if Israel is important to Jesus, it needs to be important to Christians. 
It means that we're not going to be voting Democrats. It means we're going to have to vote for the Republican Party. You know, I have fights every day with Facebook um, Christians who say, oh, you think one sin is greater than the next. A lot of Christians want to vote Democrat for one reason. They're selfish. They're thinking of themselves today. They're not thinking about Israel. They're not thinking about all these babies that are dying. Because do you know that the federal government is killing our babies? Do you know the federal government has the power to stop babies from dying in America? And they're doing nothing about it. They're telling women, go ahead and kill your babies. Go ahead and kill your babies. Go ahead and kill your babies. We've got to put an end to this. And I'm saying if we can weaponize a government to go ahead and do the Christian cause, why not? Why not? You know, people don't realize that more people, more people, I'm not calling, you know, unborn. I call them the preborn. They are people, have been killed by abortion than died in the Holocaust. And that's a scary number. That is a huge, scary number. I mean, generations have been decimated in the black community because 75% of the abortions are of black pre-born babies. And that's genocide that's what in I, any other That's term. what I try to tell people, that it's, it's, it's a way to control. They're trying to control, you know, one group. And, you know, like I have fights on Twitter because I've got like 10,000 followers per month. And a lot of them are women, and they said, my babies aren't dead. Why do you care about them? They're telling me to leave them. It's their body. They, they want to kill their babies. I mean, this is sad. This is really sad when other women are saying to me, I, I want to kill my baby. Why? Nobody's killing your baby. Leave me alone. And I'm thinking, Dini, it's a gift from God. You do understand that a child is a gift from God. But now somehow they've gotten their government who think they're God's, Say, go ahead, let's kill our babies. And so, yeah, this is why we have to be part of the, the political arena because the government has the power to eradicate God from our minds. They have the power to kill our babies. They have a power to jail us. They have a power to bring the mark of the beast to us. That's it. And this is why I want President Trump to win because I said we need small government and we need more Jesus. That's all it boils down to. Give me the smallest government and give me more Jesus. You know, it, it's funny because people are turning around and saying, my body, my decision. Well, what would have happened if your mother had that same attitude? You would not be here today. You would not exist. The person that has the cure for cancer or the common cold, the other person that may bring peace to the world is now flushed down a toilet, is now thrown into a medical waste bag and tossed in the garbage. That's what I Think said. I said, that. you know Your what? We could have already solved anything. We could have already cured cancer or diabetes. We might have already killed those people. We might have already killed those babies who were coming here. Because every child comes here with a gift. Every human being has a talent. So God is sending us on, sending all this talent to us, and we're like, no, God, we don't want it. We want our, we want to be with ourselves. But this is what's surprising: is that our government, the liberal government. Warren, Biden, Sanders, Pete, Butzberg, they're allowing us to kill our babies. They're allowing us, they're jailing black men for no reason. They're just destroying this country for no reason, and they're helping to usher in the mark of the beast. And, and they don't care. They don't really care. They're like, I, I don't care. I don't care if you all get a chip. I don't care. 
I don't care about Israel. I don't care that the black communities are going down. Hey, do, do you know the Democratic Party? They don't even Pete Buttigieg. He's the mayor. They call him Mayor Pete. He thinks he's going to win yeah. the the election without black voters. Michael Bloomberg <laughs> thinks that somehow, because I have a second home in New York, he somehow thinks that we forget about his stop and frisk. He's responsible, Mike, Michael Bloomberg, that billionaire, he's responsible for a lot of black people being harassed in New York City. Now he wants to tell us, oh, I'm sorry, it was a mistake. No, we're planning on letting people know what you did in New York. You don't deserve to be president, Bloomberg. When Elizabeth <laughs> Warren, she never stood up for black people. Why should black moms stand up for her now? This is what I'm saying. You know, like, she's a woman. And I'm thank God that she got that far. But she didn't help black moms to get their children out of jail. This is a very intelligent woman. What did she do? She didn't do anything about prison reform. She doesn't do anything about the abortion. Now she want to be president? I don't think so. You know, you, you mentioned prison and prison reform, which President Trump did pass. And supposedly the first black president, President Clinton, placed more black men behind bars than any other president before. Um, But the prison reform is so important because you write in your book that 75% of the black men that go to prison have some form of mental illness, whether it's through substance abuse, uh, domestic violence. uh, They have some sort of mental illness. And if we want to reduce the prison population, let's deal with the root cause of what is causing this with 75% of the males going to prison. And it all comes down to single-family houses and generational poverty that, thanks to Lyndon Baines Johnson, started that cycle with his great experiment. That's correct. And and that's the thing. As an attorney, there are so many black moms. That's my number one. Black moms come to me. I'm talking about registered nurse. I'm talking about hair salon. I'm talking about really moms that go to church every Sunday. They come to me and they want to get their black sons released from jail. And most of those black kids don't belong there. And there's no way I can get them all out. And the only way to do it is to write a book so that Trump can get another four years and maybe we could extend this prison reform and get some of these black kids tested because they don't deserve to be in jail. We got to make it right. Clinton did a three-strike rule. It, it, it's, it, people pick on black people for no reason. It's just we're the low-hanging fruit, I guess. But we have to do what's right. Some of these black people deserve to be out of jail and to be with their families. Mental illness. If you are a wealthy person, they put you in rehab. If you're poor, you're going to jail. That's not right. That cannot be right. You know. And I think about it. No. Warren, you're, she's a woman. How could she be on the stage knowing that all these black moms, children are in jail and she's doing nothing? We got to stop them. This is how I look at it. They don't deserve to be president because they didn't do anything while they had all that privilege as a senator. So privileged to be up there. Why aren't you helping the black moms? Why? You know, I, I have a friend of mine. And I never knew this until she she finally said something, and they did a newspaper article on her. She came from a single-parent family. She ended up spending a number of years behind bars uh, for drugs. And when she came out, she went through a prison reform program. And she's 
a successful small business owner. And she, in turn, has gone back and has helped in reforming other women behind bars. And most of them are from single-parent families. We've got to be able to encourage both mother and father to stay together. A child needs two parents to help them, one to be able to earn the money and one to be able to raise the child full time. And we've, we've gotten away from that. At one point, prior to 1960 passing of the, the uh, Welfare Act, the black community was one of the most prosperous middle class and you had some of the earliest millionaires coming out of the black community. There was one woman who became a millionaire by selling cosmetics door to door, and she ended up with her own chain of cosmetics. You know, there's so many stories that are historically there, not taught. And yes, you can be as 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 prosperous as you want, but we need to start having a stable home first in order for that to happen. And this is what you write about in your book. One of the many things you write about in your book. That's correct. And I, 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 you know, this is because I am going to be, this is my God-given gift now. I got to help strengthen the black community. There's a problem. There's a problem in the black community when you're having five baby mothers and you're not paying child support. There's a problem. White people are not doing that. We need to do more as a black community. We need to get them back into churches. We have to talk to gang members. Their lives are being cut short. They're reaping what they're sowing. You can't use a, the Bible said an um, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We who lives by the sword will die by a sword. We can't have 16-year-old black boys dying. They have a life in front of them. We got to strengthen them. They have been called to do more than enough. They weren't called to shoot people up. They're not going to get out of it. Either one other gang is going to kill them or police is going to kill them, but they're not going to make it out alive, and we've got to let them know this is not the way out. They're loved by Jesus Christ. People got to know that. And our government, now, our government, the Democratic Party, they use this against us. They use the, the fact that our families are broken. The Democratic Party keep our family broken. They keep the people on welfare. They keep the men in jail. They have us do all this abortion. That we can be on the bottom, and they said, "Don't worry, we're going to take care of you." It's all about power. That's what the Democratic Party is doing. They take the power from the black people. That's all it is. And they take they're so they well, take us so, for granted so much they don't even care about our votes anymore. No, and you're not looking for government for the for federal dollars to come down. You want to do this through education, through outreach, by turning around and living by example, by having a president up there that is providing jobs for people so they can turn around and say, hey, listen, I've got money. I can start a family. I can buy a home. You want to give them a hand up, not a handout, right? Yes, and that's exactly what I'm saying. And, And that's what we have to do. We have to start educating them. But the black community, they're not open to it because they're afraid. They're afraid. They're like, why? And even they're telling me, you need to get back with the Democratic Party. Why are you doing this? Oh, you're going to be in trouble. And I'm thinking to myself, when, that's another thing, too. I'm getting to get more racism now that I'm back in Trump than ever before. People are threatening <laughs> me. I'm like, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous. I thought it was free in America. I got permanently suspended from Twitter for tweeting about Trump. 
we're not free as black people to just back the Republican Party. The top Democrats don't like us. And then he said to yourself, you're not very free. You think you're free, but you're not free in this country. I think um, there's about four major reasons why the black community find themselves in the situation that there are now. And, and like you mentioned before, one is broken homes and a failed educational system and a lack of God in their lives. But I think also a lot of blacks have opted out of the American dream. And I think that's because they have been so brainwashed, so propagandized by the Democrat party that America was never about, you know, the black community, you know, it it was all about whites. And I think they fell for that, you know, and somehow we have to change that way of thinking. We have to reclaim the educational system and like you said, put God back in to their lives and um, and fix these broken homes. I think only then will we have some chance of um, getting these people, you know, to a point where they were once um, we were in Reconstruction after slavery. I mean, blacks were prospering, pros- prospering after um, after slavery. So the Democrat Party got a hold of them. Very unfortunate. And that's the thing. I grew up in Jamaica, so I didn't even know I was black till I got here at 19. (laughs) You know, I I didn't even know I was black, and it was irrelevant. And I speak to a lot of black Americans. And growing up in Jamaica, my parents always told me education level the playing field. And I said to black people, why aren't there more? Because my sister's an airline pilot. She's black. She's an airline pilot. I said to them, why aren't there more black people educated? And they said, Oh, because in America, we didn't really push education. We push being a football player. Who gave you that option? White people put that in their heads. The Democratic Party put that in their heads. Don't go to school to be educated. Go be a player. Because they wanted, they wanted so badly to take one group and put them under. And you're right. I, I didn't even put in my book. I don't think I can reach the 50 and over. I think I reach the 50 and under. And I think that we need to start letting black people know that they're more than enough. They're more, they can conquer education. There's nothing wrong with our skins. All men are created equal. And I just, they got to see that government is here to divide us. Government is not here to be our friend. So for a, dem, for a black person to say, I'm going to vote for a Democrat, they're not your friend. If you see what they're proposing on stage yesterday, it's keeping you home, making a thousand dollars a month. That's what they're proposing. Giving you more more government benefits. The more government benefit they get, the more power they receive. That's what it all boils down to. Yeah, and when you say and you just like them no, on get the a job, work and do the best you can. No, it's it's a change in mental attitude that we've seen. It's the easy money, the easy path. Uh, You you become a rap star. You become a YouTube video star. uh, You become a sports star. The easy path, the easy money, not working to obtain your objective, but taking the easy way to do it. And if you can't do the easy way, then you can always fall back on welfare Section 8 housing, food stamps, free Obama phone, free Internet, and yin-yangs, $1,000 a month now. It's, it, it's an easy path, no longer teaching people to be responsible for themselves, 
and willing to work. And again, you talk about work, work being actually a service to our community, to our fellow man. And that's not the easy, that's not the path anymore. Just take the easy path. If not, sit back, get your Doritos, watch TV, and let the federal checks come in. So that's another thing too. Like, if they propose all the socialism, how do we, how do we as humans fit in in God's plan? Because if you read the Bible, it says, "By the sweat of your brow, you should eat bread." So now they're proposing, "No, you're not going to sweat your brow. The government is going to just give you money." They're destroying God's creation like that. That's what it boils down to. We all need, you know, one thing about work. If you know you're working with random people, it's for social and spiritual connection. That's what it boils down to. That's why God wanted us to work. He wants us to be around people. He wants us to serve others. That's what it boils down to. Thank you. No, thank you. My head hurts. No. Oh, you feel bad. Here's a candy. Oh, Merry Christmas. Oh, you. These are simple stuff that you get to practice every day when you work. When you don't work, you're never going to practice that. The devil is going to find room for you. And I'm thinking, how can people not see what the federal government is up to, the Democratic Party is up to? They're about to destroy God's creation because the Bible said, by the sweat of your bro, you shall eat bread. You, there's no way out of that. There's no government. Warren, Biden, Sanders, you can't change what God has created. And this is why I said we need to vote for Trump. He's less of the two evil. Government is evil on a whole. One is a little bit less crooked. <laughs> No, it is a fascinating book called Trump Must Win, Discover the Dark Days and the Dark Dilemma Americans Will Face. Uh-oh, someone came in. (laughs) Yeah, so, yes, my my kid. (laughs) Yeah, Trump Must Win, Discover the Dark Days Americans Will Face. Yes, it's it's a fascinating book. And uh, I, I think it's it's important that people understand where you're coming from. You're not asking for four, more federal dollars or federal interference. You want people to be personally responsible, to do what is the right thing to do. Um, you you talk about the um, reason why you wrote the book. You also address immigration, and it, it's something that you know the Democrats go in open borders, sanctuary cities. Uh, but uh, excuse me, there is a lock on the door for a reason. And if you read the poem on the bottom of the Statue of Liberty, they talk about giving me your hungry, your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, you know, talking about letting them in. But the last line is, I hold my shining lantern to your door. There is a door there that you must gain permission to enter into. The same as there is a door to the gate of, he- of heaven. You're saying that so let there me go are into doors immigration. for a reason. Let me go into immigration for a minute there. Let me go into it because I was an immigration attorney. First of all, legal immigrants are entitled to come here. So people who are coming on a student visa, if you're bringing a lot of money or visas. So you are getting, you are getting um, the federal government, oh, the United States government is saying, go to the embassy. If I give you an approval, you can walk in. So Trump is for legal immigrants. If you go to the airport, there's a lot of legal immigrants coming in. The Democratic Party is for illegal immigrants, and I'll tell you why. A lot of lawyers make $3,000 a year off one illegal immigrant. That's what people are not telling you. This is the real truth. When an illegal person comes here, they don't have any papers. I work with these people. It's very depressive. 
they are working under the table in America, and every year, I've gotten like 10 or 15 of them a year, every year they have to find $3,000 to pay to try to get their paperwork. That's why the Democratic Party, full of immigration attorneys, are saying, come to the borders, because they're making $3,000 a month off them. This is the part nobody's getting to understand. This is the part that nobody's getting to see. These people are working under the table, and they're being taken advantage of by lawyers and smugglers. A smuggler, by the way, all those people you see running, people in America send those, those smugglers $4,000 per person. And so those smugglers are lying to people and saying, don't worry, I'll get you to America. When you get there, you'll get your green card. I'm going to introduce you to a lawyer. It's all a scam. And that's why Trump is telling them don't come. Because they're all breaking the law, and they're going to be turned down, and they're going to stay in the immigration system for the next 30 years. And then people saying, what are you going to do about them, Trump? They came in the back end. They broke the law, and the lawyers are living off them. And every time the lawyers can't get it through, they go, Trump is the reason. You knew that lawyer. All you're trying to do is bring in more to make money. It's a scam. It's a scam. It doesn't work. And that's why I'm telling people, don't come here illegally. You're going to be left here. People need to interview these people. 30 years they've been here for. They can tell you the lawyers and the smugglers live off their money for the rest of their life. This is what happens. They're never going to get Social Security. This is what's going on, and nobody's bringing on a cause. They came through the border, followed the illegal law, the lawyer who said, I'll get you the green card, just come through the back end. And that lawyer is getting rich. And that's why I left immigration. I said, this is a ripoff, it's a scam. You know, not That's only that, you've got what, what they call the Bologs, those um, voluntary groups that are out there, such as the Lutheran ministers, the Catholic bishops, that every time they assist one of these illegals, that's big bucks that goes to those organizations. It's a money making. They're raising money yeah. on them. They're using it to what the illegal immigrants don't know. They're part of a scam. That's correct. They're saying, we need to beat Trump. Millions of dollars coming in. Millions of dollars. They're saying to the illegal immigrants, come over here. They know they can't help them. They know they can't help them. It's the money they're going for. So that's what Trump is trying to tell people. He says, don't come illegal because he knows the rules. He said, you're going to be turned down. People say he's a racist. He's telling them the truth. You're going to get turned down. Don't come. That's all he's saying to them. They're not listening to him. They're listening to the people who are raising the millions and saying, you better come. I have a way out. There is no way out. The law says you can't come. Not because you raise $50 million, you're going to get them in. You won't. All you're doing is scamming them. That's all you're doing. You correlation and all nonprofit, you're making money from illegal immigrants, and that's wrong. Yeah, and you talk, you talk about the energy coming from the Democratic Party being dark, being sinister. And you know, that's what you sent. You, you don't find a vitality. No, we had uh, the day before... Um, was it two days before the impeachment vote, we had a rally outside of our congressman's office, you know, a pro peaceful pro-Trump rally. And we got people honking us, giving us the thumbs up. It was all very nice. You got positive energy. And then when we watched, because we chose to do it the day before, the next day, the impeachment crowd came out, which was fueled by moveon.org, George Soros' group, and the negative energy that was coming off of that and the signs that they were carrying were nasty signs. We had good ones. I mean, 
I made fun of my congressman because he tried to bring beer onto the floor of Congress, so I call him Joe Beer Can Cunningham. Um, but you know, we had a little humor. There was no humor. It was it was dark. That's that's exactly what I see. I've been around Democrats before, and all they do is cry, talking about just crying, and want more federal dollars. That's all it is. It's a bunch of people who worked all their life, don't know how to balance, bought expensive shoes, they have no money left, and now they're like, I want money, I want the federal government to give me money. I didn't think about retirement because I was busy buying an expensive car. That's exactly what it is. They're all negative. It doesn't matter how much money you give them, they want more. They want more. They want more. They think the federal government owes them money, and they're always complaining. They're always crying. And it's like, this is just so negative. Tisha, speaking of cars, I think it was New Jersey that just just passed something, a law where immigrants, illegal aliens can have, like, driver's license. Um, What do they expect to gain by that besides voters? More power, more power. It's it's all about, I need to stay in office. I'll give the illegal immigrants this. They'll have kids. The kids will go ahead and vote for me. That's what they're trying to do. More power, more power. I'll take over. I'll, someday I'll show Trump that I can do this. It's all about power. That's all it is. It's about more power and more power and more power. And we've got to understand where this is coming from. A lot of Democrats are lawyers. And a lot of lawyers make a lot of money being in politics, which is now I'm beginning to recognize why people hate lawyers. Never understood before. I thought I was in a prestigious business. I'm not, <laughs> you know. But isn't it, isn't it set in stone that you have to be a citizen to vote? I mean, we have laws on the books. How can they just ignore them and get away with it like that? They're giving them illegal paperwork. They're print, that's what they do. They give them illegal paperwork and tell them to go vote because that's another thing. 80% of the people I try to help to get a citizenship cannot because they were given some illegal document to vote. So I can't put them through because one of your questions is, did you vote in an election? The smuggler give them illegal documents and say, go ahead and vote Democrat. Then they do it. Then somehow they're trying to become a citizen. They cannot become a citizen because they voted in an election. Yes, it's what they don't know. They just get smuggled here and the smuggler is saying, here it is. Here's a voter ID. Go and vote. They're doing it. The smuggler is being paid from somebody. They destroy these people's lives. Then these people now try to become citizens, and one of the questions on the questionnaire is, did you vote in an election? You put yes, you're not entitled to be a citizen. Who did that? The smuggler told them to do it. So, we're, so I, I, I see it. I'm like, oh, gosh, all these people giving them illegal stuff. The poor immigrants, they're already here. They only paid their money to get here, and they're following the advice of the smugglers. What else were they supposed to do? The smuggler said, here's your paper. Go ahead and vote. Make sure you vote Democrat. And they go, okay. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's an amazing it's an amazing book that you wrote, and you wrote because you felt that Trump is leading the nation in the right direction. And I want to thank you for that. You know, it's a, a God gift that you have there in your writing. People can find your book, Trump Must Win, up on Amazon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I've gotten a lot of slack, especially from the black community. They've threatened oh, to buy I understand. Burn them during the winter. <laughs> and I've cried. I said, did I really affect the black community? Am I forgiven? It's very, it's, it's, it's 
they've called me, they call me, one black lady, she's a professor, PhD. She's written probably 10 books about Barra. She called me on Twitter a house nigger, <laughs> you know. They're harsh. Yeah. They're, uh, it, it, it's they are very, very harsh. very harsh. But you know what? But don't God give is in up. heaven and he don't sees everything. Up. Oh, no. You, you know you're doing something right when they're attacking you. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, you know you're doing I, something right when they attack you. From what I hear, Trump you know, has about 34% approval rating from the black community. So we can translate amen. that into votes. I mean, And I want to say one thing before chance. you guys let me go again. The Ten Commandments, this is another thing. The Democratic Party took the Ten Commandments. Do you know why they did that? So that it could get more black what? people in jail. Do you know that if you read the Ten Commandments, it says do not kill. If you see that every day, if you're looking at that every day, you probably won't be going to jail. You know, when I go to court, I'm surprised how many young black people didn't know murder was a, was a crime or they didn't know stealing was a crime. Had they had the Ten Commandments in front of them, I tell people the Ten Commandments is a shortcut to the law. That's what it is. When Moses wrote it, it's a shortcut because every single government, I don't care where you are in the world, you can't kill another human being. You can't lie on another human being. So it's basically they have so much laws in the books. If you know the Ten Commandments, it's kind of easy for you to kind of figure out how to live. The Democratic Party took that out of people's hand. And guess what now? A lot of people going to jail. You have to see it. I said, I only see the Ten Commandments when I go to church. Not a lot of people go into church every day. How are they seeing the Ten Commandments? We've got to put it back up. It's got to be shown again. This is how we're going to get the crime rate down. We don't wait for black people or anybody to kill somebody and then say, oh, by the way, thou shall not kill. They need that information now. Now you see why I'm a Republican. We got to get the Ten Commandments back into the school. Little kids need to be able to read, thou shall not lie, honor your parents. Why are so many parents in nursing home today? We don't have that in Jamaica. They don't have that in China. They have it here in America. Maybe if the kids saw the honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be longer, maybe they'll be a little nicer to their parents. Don't envy. Hey, that sounds like socialism, right? Where, oh, we need to go after the millionaires and billionaires. The Bible tells us not to envy. We need simple Ten Commandments back in the schools. Well, Tisha, it is a fantastic book. It's something that every young kid should probably read and understand and see the passion as you read the pages that you put into the book. It's called Trump Must Win. People can get it up on Amazon. Um, It's an amazing thing that you've written. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tisha. Thanks so much for having me on your show. God bless. Take care. Hey, you take care. God bless. Merry Christmas. Very All right. Uh, we got our next victim up on the bullpen returning to the show. Let's welcome back John Tamney. Good afternoon, John. How are you doing today? Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's always our pleasure. You're the director of Center for Economic Freedom at FreedomWorks. You're also an editor at Real Teeth and Backwards, Real Clear Markets, if I can say that three times fast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. You know, there's so much to talk to you about because they just passed the USMCA. You know, they got the impeachment, articles of impeachment out there. And then the next thing we see, Nancy Pelosi decides, 
Well, we got a little bit of dirt on our face because we voted for these article impeachments. Let's let's take back a little glory here and pass the US FDA and take credit for it. That's that's a good thing for them to do, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny how uh, with Washington, it's stating the obvious, they always live in a different world. I think in a normal world, why would we need the Congress's or the president's approval to tell us uh, with whom we can trade and the terms of with whom we can trade? Uh, the whole idea is a weird exercise, and um, in my perfect world, there wouldn't have been a USMCA. I think, I think Congress and the president – exists solely to protect our freedoms to do as we wish, uh, not to tell us how we can do things. But uh, Washington, you know, they're they're in Washington not because they want to help us, but because they want to say that they're doing things under the pretense that they're helping us. And so this is an example of that. Everyone wants credit, and it's all unfortunate. But that's that's what's important about shows like this is we can uh, expose people to what's really going on. Uh, it is amazing when you watch the circuit, cause circus, not circuit, circus of this whole impeachment hearing. And uh, my husband had it on nonstop. Normally he'll walk through and you see the news is on. He'll turn the channel on to like Faith or uh, Perry Mason or some other show. I don't want to hear this little talking heads. And um, this time he sat through the whole thing. I mean, the man has the patience of Job, I swear. But, you know, it's. It, Watching the whole thing that was going on, and now they realize that they shot themselves in the foot, and now Pelosi's trying to backpedal. Well, we'll just hold it off. Mitch McConnell, uh, I've got to negotiate with him. No, wait a minute. Since when does the House of Representatives dictate to the Senate what they do? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's so interesting watching this. Um they kind of knew ultimately the outcome. Everything was, was foreordained, what the House would do, what the Senate would do. Um, you pull away from this for a second, and one of my writers at Real Clear Markets asked the obvious question today, what if Hunter Biden were Hunter Jones? Uh, wouldn't the expectation have been that the president um, overseeing the allocation of resources to another country? In my perfect world, there wouldn't be all this foreign aid, but there is. Um, wouldn't the expectation have been that they ask, okay, we want to find out what do, what gets us to the bottom of this? Yet because it involves the son of a presidential candidate, it's somehow an impeachable offense. And so I, I can't quite figure this out. Again, my perfect world, we just wouldn't be doing things like this with other countries. But to pretend like it's a question not to be asked seems a bit strange. Well, it does. And no one's mentioned Hunter Biden's involvement in China also. And if anyone knows how the companies work in China, each and every company, whether it's an American company operating over there or any other foreign country country operating a, a business over there or Chinese business, must have a minimum of one member of the Communist Party on its board. So that would tie Hunter and Daddy Deer directly to the Communist Party in China. Well, you know, in, with China, I, I, I suppose I view it a little bit differently. Now, let me be clear. I, I think inevitably with, whenever you're the son of a high-up politician, it's almost certain that people around the world are going to try to attach themselves to you. And my, my response is always – don't go after the Bidens or the sons of the Bushes. 
go after a government that's so large that people actually want to be connected to you. I mean let's never forget that if the federal government weren't four or five trillion dollars in annual spending, no one would make a point of trying to attach themselves to the ne'er-to-well sons of politicians. Um, ask yourself the question, how many people want to get to know the son of the vice president or president of Bangladesh? Um, obviously not, but in the U.S., because government's so large, we see this. Now, with China, I think it's got to be stressed that we talk about, well, it's run by the Communist Party. This is a very capitalistic country. Uh, to get off an airplane in China as an American is to feel more welcome there than any other nationality, and that includes the Chinese people. Everywhere you look, there's a McDonald's, Burger King, Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Polo Store, Apple Store, Abercrombie & Fitch, Sunglass Hut. The Chinese have a love affair going on with the capitalistic creations of the United States, and 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 so I, I think and and you. Apple creates most of its products over there. Uh, Nike manufactures more goods in China than any other country. This is a very happy story. Let's not forget, remember in the 1970s, the line was, uh, finish your dinner, they're starving in China. They're no longer starving because they're increasingly free to produce, and I think that's a beautiful thing that we as freedom lovers and profit motive lovers should celebrate. That. Well, you know, I've been hearing a lot of different stories about China, and until they stop stealing our intellectual property, until they allow capital that goes in there to leave, which they're not doing, um, then I'd look more favorably on them. It's sort of a one-sided relationship at this point. Oh, but see, I think that's an unfair, you know, and I, let's never forget that GM sells more cars in China than it does in North America. Um, Boeing sells a quarter of its planes in China. Apple's what the most valuable company in the world. It sells one fifth of its iPhones there. Uh, China's the second largest market for McDonald's, second largest market for for uh, Nike. Uh, there are 3,400 Starbucks stores in China on the way to 7,000. Uh, this is a very, very beneficial place for American businesses. And as far as intellectual property. Let me be if, – if you can tell me what good, what's good intellectual property to steal, we can go to New York on Monday and we'll have billions of dollars attached to us uh, to go invest around the world in a heartbeat. It's very hard to know what to take because it's hard to predict the future of markets, and if we're going to start going after – IP theft, well, let's rip Thomas Edison out of the grave. Let's rip Henry Ford out of, out of the grave. Let's rip Steve Jobs, and let's, 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 and let's jail Bill Gates right now because in any dynamic industry, there's always, always, always mimicry going on, the lifting of ideas. It's called progress, and so I think to go after the Chinese is somehow unique on this. Um, I, again, I think is unfair. I, I, there, I think there's a lot to love about what Donald Trump's done as president. There, there's critics, critiques, good things, but this demonization of China, I think, is very unfortunate. Well, do you think that we're going to get a favorable trade bill, uh, trade deal between China and Trump? Um, you know, you know my theory once again. I, I don't like politicians messing with my life. I, I don't like politicians telling me what to do. I, I think federal politicians exist to protect my rights. And so to me, a favorable trade deal is the U.S. saying we're a fully open market, uh, come one, come all. Uh, we, 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 
feel free to compete to meet the needs of the American people as you wish. I don't care what other countries do. If other countries want to damage their businesses by putting up tariffs, if other countries want to damage their citizens by putting up tariffs such that their paychecks don't stretch as far, that's for them to do. But rich countries keep their markets open, and that's what the U.S. is all about. We're the biggest, baddest nation on earth with the best businesses <laughs> in the world that are competing around the world. And because we are, because we're number one by far with the most valuable businesses, most productive workers, it's only natural that the whole world lines up to meet our needs. And so we have the average tariff on, US, on goods coming into the U.S. is 1.4%. It should be zero. But the fact that other countries want to hurt their citizens by putting up barriers – look, we're the United States. We compete with anyone. We vanquish anyone. So I don't like when we – as when Republicans say, oh, people are taking advantage of us. Um, that's not the Republican Party that I know. I, the Republican Party that I know says, come one, come all. We're the best. We've got the best businesses. We don't need protection from government, and it terrifies me. When, when Republicans talk about protecting us from other from from producers in other countries. Well, I want to change the subject just a little bit because they just passed the omnibus bill, and every time I hear of, of an omnibus bus bill, um, I'm always going, "Oh, geez, what, what did they slip past us now?" <laughs> and it looks like in this thing, uh, without any debate, without any putting anything out there, they inserted into the bill. Believe it or not. Raising the age to buy tobacco. That has nothing to do with government spending. Why is it in a spending bill? Um, they included coal miner pensions being guaranteed by you and me, the taxpayers. Excuse me, that's private industry. What does that have to do with what does that have to do with the tea in China? I mean, I should not be paying for a private corporation to guarantee a person's pension. Period. Uh, that was done in secret. Uh, then they threw in their gun violence research. Uh, duh. What do you think that means? It's another step to another attempt to gun grab. That does not belong in the bill. Uh, they turn around and talk about election security in the bill, uh, but we see most of the election insecurity occurring on the Democratic side with vote stealing, vote harvesting. That does not belong in the spending bill. And then they put in hidden fees. Uh, to pay TV, that should be a separate bill. I mean, and they, they're patting themselves on the back. Oh, we did such a wonderful bill here. We've got the government staying open, but they threw these things in there. This is crazy, John. Well, look at look at the spending bill more broadly. What does any of this have to do? Again, let's never forget the Constitution. What it says. It's not something limiting our rights as people. The Constitution is kind of clear. It limits the rights of the federal government, and it says that if, if the power is not enumerated to you here, it automatically reverts to the cities and states. And so that's just – that was a clear signal from the founders that just about everything that the federal government does now is, goes well beyond its right, rights to do. Um, should we be surprised by this though? No. Why are Republicans and Democrats there? In Washington, they're there to spend money. Let's never forget. I don't care. You could give. You could. You could put put a Republican in the White House and have them control the Senate and the House. Have every single motive. Government would still be large. And why is that? They want nice things too. See, politicians when they retire, they want 
very luxurious, high-paid retirements. Well, you're not going to do that if you shrink the size and scope of government because who's going to hire you if the government, instead of being a $5 trillion annual endeavor, is a $500 billion annual endeavor? Well, there aren't many jobs. There aren't very cushy retirements for politicians and, and groups of politicians that shrink government, and so that's why you see government grow no matter who's in power. So no, it doesn't surprise me. Is it crazy? Yeah, it's, it's sad, but it's, 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 it's what you'd expect. Politicians want to live like capitalists too. The difference is they don't want to have to work hard. They don't want the risk involved uh, that capitalists have to go through, so they just they go to Washington and do it the other way. Oh, absolutely. Easy money. And it's our money. Hello? Get yep. back to me. <laughs> you know, what, what, what I find amazing is with President Trump, he's been cutting regulations. He's been gutting uh, departments. Uh, he's been shrinking government. Uh, at the same time, we see Congress spending even more money. But one of the things he's been going after is Obamacare. And it's funny, when you look at the job numbers that have come through, especially last month in November, the largest sector that has grown in jobs is the healthcare industry. And now just recently, a court has ruled the mandate unconstitutional in a two-to-one ruling handed down by a panel of the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans. Uh, They said, no, you can't put in the mandate. Um, I'm finding that amazing because when Obamacare was being debated and going forward to vote on, I had a gastroenterologist. I went to see him, and he looked at me knowing that I do this show. He goes, you know what? I'm going to tell you this flat out. If Obamacare passes, I'm going to close my practice, and I have a shrimp boat. I'm going to go shrimping. He said, I did it as a kid. I'm not too old to go back to doing it again. And that's exactly what he did. We saw people leaving the healthcare industry left and right because of the odious regulations and mandates in Obamacare. He's cutting it back, and the industry is starting to grow back again. That shouldn't be too shocking, should it? Yeah, no. Well, you know, I mean, imagine uh, politicians presuming to tell doctors how much their work is worth and trying to regulate. I mean, what I always say to people is I've gotten a, a supercomputer in my pocket. It's my iPhone. I, I don't know why I've got this amazing thing. But this is what capitalists, when they're left alone, produce. And so the mistake always with with healthcare was the government presumed to have a role in it. Why would it? Um, if they can put supercomputers in our pockets, uh, market forces can figure out a way to get get us what we need in terms of healthcare and in, in for an affordable way. My only quibble with this is let's remember, if the Republic the Republicans had talked for years about repealing Obamacare, okay, good, yeah, it was a bad idea that the government should not be involved here. President Trump would have signed repeal on his first day in office. They could have literally had it sitting on his desk on January 21st, 2017, and he would have signed it. So why didn't they? And it frustrates me because they said, well, no, we're not going to just repeal. We want to repeal and replace. Okay, so wait. You want to repeal the Democrats' odious central plan for health care, but you've got your own central plan? Why not just get, get rid of it? Because again… If you get rid of it and if you start getting government out of the way of this, what market actors wouldn't – people want health care. So why not let market actors produce it for them without all of these barriers? You know, it's funny because growing up, 
um, whenever I went to the doctor, um, we walk in and it's like, well, it's $35 for the visit. Well, I can only give you 10 or 15 and it was like, no problem. And you pay him whenever you could. Uh, when Obamacare came in, there were several different places that had nonprofit medical clinics. Once Obama came in, they closed. Now I've seen since President Trump took office and they've been peeling all these layers back, we now have two medical clinics that are nonprofits, one of them being operated by my church, that weren't in existence when Obama was in office. You know, we've had guaranteed medical care in our nation for a long time. You walk into an emergency room, by law, you're mandated to be taken care of no matter what, whether you could pay or not. We've had this on the books. We've had medical clinics. We've had pro bono work. But he killed all that. Now I see it starting to come back. Yeah, I mean I'd rather not have anything guaranteed because I think what you describe as a child is what you consistently hear from doctors is that historically doctors knew they, they kind of sensed based on who was coming to see them who could afford to pay more. And so they had tiered pricing that they had in their heads. Okay, we're going to charge maybe this person more, this person less, and it enabled them to give more people health care. I, I think it's important to point out that you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, the biggest expense for hospitals was bed sheets and things like that. Increasingly, healthcare is becoming much more effective at actually detecting and, and curing us from diseases. And this is the this I bring this up because it just frustrates me about healthcare in general. Is we always hear politicians say we want you to have affordable healthcare. And I go what? No, no, I want it horribly unaffordable. I want billionaires to be able to buy things that are out of reach for me. Because what will they do? They'll be venture buyers. They'll be guinea pigs for new cures that if proved successful, that creates a market signal. It creates an incentive for doctors to, to figure out a way to get it to more and more people. Everything in a market economy starts out expensive. Remember back in the 80s, those brick-sized mobile phones that, um, that only the plutocrats, mm-hmm. the richest of the rich, owned? Yeah, well, that was just yeah. a prediction of what we'd all eventually own. The original laser printer was $17,000. The original window unit air conditioners back in the 1930s cost $50,000. All these things you can get for $100. Now, what the rich enjoy is always a preview of what we'll all enjoy. And so I want expensive health care. I want things that only Rupert Murdoch can afford because he will try them. And again, if they, if they work, eventually – We'll all get to have access to it. And so I, I think the approach is always wrong. Expensive everything is a great thing because, again, it tells us what we'll all eventually get to have if, if it's worthwhile. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, I don't know if you caught the debate last night. Uh, my husband and I did. And <laughs> he turned around and told, he told me that it was it – was, because we were, we were hysterical laughing uh, at the questions and the answers that were coming out of these people. And uh, he said it was funnier than watching a rerun of Red Skelton or Carol Burnett shows. And it's true. It is true. Uh, but one of the things I saw is like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, I swear, they've lost their mind. But do you think that their push for Medicare for all has actually derailed their campaigns permanently? I, I think so. Let's never forget that the American people are optimistic people. At their core, and they're also they like American people like successful people, 
And they don't take well to people who demonize achievement because achievement is all around. And remember, Americans migrate to where the achievement is. I mean, honestly, let's ask the question, how many people how, of, of the listeners today, how many people do you, have you talked to in the past 5, 10, 15 years who said, oh, yeah, I'm moving to Charleston, West Virginia, or um, I don't know, Jackson, Mississippi? Where do Americans constantly move? They move to the cities where the richest people are, and why do they do that? Because where rich people are is where the opportunity is, and so you have these two people on up there demonizing billionaires, saying that we're going to give you a bunch of free stuff. Americans know what free stuff is like. They've been to government offices before. They know that it's invariably substandard, assuming you can get anything at all. And so when when politicians run on negativity and this, they rarely win. Let's never forget Obama ran as an optimist. Ronald Reagan ran as an optimist. Bill Clinton ran as an Republican or Democrat. The ones who run on how the world is ending, that everything is so awful, they tend not to do very well. Well, you know, um, I want to thank you for joining us, John, because I've got my next victim up in the switchboard there. <laughs> but people can find you. <laughs> yeah, always a victim. Uh, you, people can find you at Freedom Works as well as Real Clear Markets. And your book that you have out is called They're Both Wrong, which is a fun read. John, thank you for joining us. You're always welcome back, and have a very merry and blessed Christmas. Likewise. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Take, Take care. care. All right. Thanks. John Tabney, uh, you can check him out over at Real Clear Markets and also at FreedomWorks. Uh, before we bring on Daphne and uh, her partner, Bill, uh, why don't you just take uh, about 30 seconds here. Ernie Ricard uh, has called in. He has a prose piece that he would like to read. Ernie, good afternoon. Welcome onto the show. You have something you want to read to us. Yes. Hi, Annie, and Merry Christmas. You too, Curtis. Merry Christmas, Ernie. Merry Christmas. I wrote this the 18th. This is after the impeachment hearing, and it, I hope the president's listening. America looked into okay. your eyes and saw them fill with pain. You've always held your head up high. Now you're defending your name. You reached deep inside your heart and found the strength to fight. For God give it to you when America prayed one night. God wanted to, you to tell as many as you could about his plan, about his grace, and you told him that you would. In your walk with Jesus, you found love you never knew from friends, family, and from God, spiritually you grew. America loves you more than life itself. It's been a battle for us all, but God will get us through it. He will never let America fall. Mr. President, Merry Christmas. You are our hero. Wow, Ernie. That was really right. wonderful. Thank you so much. All right, Ernie. And right, I'll be talking to you later on, Ernie. So have a Merry Christmas to yourself. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Let's bring on our friend, uh, Daphne Barak. Daphne, do you have uh, Bill with you? Absolutely, he's here, and definitely became a friend. By the way, that was very powerful, uh, Annie. Um, Ernie's, uh, Ernie's remark was so powerful. Well, what I'm going to do it is ask Ernie like to email that to me. 
I'm going to ask Ernie to email me that whole thing, and I'll send it over to you because I understand you're going to be seeing Trump on the, over the Christmas holiday, exactly. right? Exactly. We are heading there. We are heading there just before Christmas, yeah. Yeah, when well, we can get that so, to Trump. Absolutely. I, I, believe, I, believe absolutely. It, I believe anything like that would make him feel stronger, which he is very strong. All right. All right, and uh, Daphne, you have your book out, To Plea or Not to Plea, about Rick Gates. And Bill Ganassi, good afternoon, Bill. Merry Christmas. Uh, you Hi, have Merry your book Christmas. out. It's good to Game be with you guys. Game Changer, and people can get both of those books by going to your website, which is your name. Um, and there's a link up on the show page. People can click on it and go directly and get your books. And they're excellent reads. Actually, your book is not out just yet, Bill. It's out next yeah, month, correct? No, not yet. Uh, yeah, it's, it's next month, but but people right, are pre-ordering well, it. It's on Amazon and all over. Well, Bill, you got to get me a copy so I can read it and get you back on oh, after it's released. Oh, we're going to send you a signed copy, both of mine and yours. You're going to text message me your address. <laughs> oh, all right. I didn't do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, my yeah. Bad. both of them I'm would be signed. In my old age. We decided unless unless we come to see you. Uh, beginning of February, uh, you're coming to Super Bowl to Mar-a-Lago. We decided, you and I, right? <laughs> okay. I'll talk to you about that. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to that. I still got plane tickets I haven't used. I can use them. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, um, you wrote the book about uh, Rick Gates and the investigation and what he went through and the long road he's worked on. And uh, this was a gentleman that was, he wasn't shy, but he liked working in the background. He didn't like a lot of fanfare around him and suddenly found himself shoved into the spotlight in these massive investigations surrounding anyone involved with President Trump and his campaign. And now he finally got sentenced this, this week. And At last, after more than I two have... years. And, and Flynn is not sentenced yet. Could you imagine? Jeez, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a tangled web that we see being weaved around here. And it's, it's a horrible thing that's been going on. Now, I heard certain different you know, commentators talking, oh, he's been sentenced and he got off light. And when I read the details on the sentence, I'm going, this man did not get off light. You, you saw what <laughs> I sent you uh, when I started my rant going, uh, you got to be crazy because mm-hmm. it's not over. It's going to Not go on all. for another years. You know, I mean, yes, he was. So go ahead, Daphne. I don't mean to cut you off. I apologize. No, no, you're, you're so you're so good. You're so on the money. Uh, you know, I got a phone calls and text message uh, messages from uh, Jerome Corsi. As you know, he was also uh, threatened by the FBI and Mueller team, and he somehow managed to stand up. Although he told me he lost money, and of course, it, it hurts. Uh, his health and everything. But the two stories, he never judged Rick Gates, and that's why he was tweeting all around just praying for him, because you and I cannot judge what these people. people. Some people say, oh, he flipped, he's a red. No, he didn't flip against Donald Trump. He never, at all point, he said no Russian collusion. He could have lost the plea deal. And he and Paul Manafort have never been charged for anything relating to Donald Trump. They've been charged for things that had to do with, funny enough, that country, Ukraine, before 2014. Uh, they didn't even meet Donald Trump until April 2016. It's nothing to do with Donald Trump. It was just to 
hair team because it looks, oh, his campaign manager, his deputy campaign manager, they're all indicted. It looks very bad optically. But what these people have been through, and you are so smart uh, about the sentencing. Uh, yes, he didn't get jail time because the prosecutors didn't uh, recommend it. As you remember, they didn't recommend it to Mike Flynn, who had the same plea deal as uh, Gates did. Uh, last December, but you know the judge just threw the book at him. He almost he talked about treason. So I mean, but the one thing that people didn't notice, and you did, very few did, is that besides the is okay, 45 days weekends. I have also to tell you that now I'm allowed because it was mentioned. I couldn't do do it before publicly on air. His wife is battling cancer, and who knows if this ordeal triggered it or even worsened it, but you know they have four kids, three are very small, they don't even know that daddy has a problem, so somebody has to take care of it, so that's the whole deal, so 300 uh, hours of community service, $20,000 fine, but the one thing which really concerned me, uh, I was shocked, that he will have to continue collaborating with ongoing investigations, that that means that at least for three years, because he's on probation for three years. And if he doesn't satisfy them, they could walk back on the deal. So like they did, like they walked back on Manafort deal, and like uh, they walked back on Papadopoulos, and they may walk back on Flynn next month, you know. So, I mean, it started more than two years ago. By the time he will finish, it will be five years. And, and this plea deal doesn't have timeline. It's again and again. Rick Gates didn't want to testify at the Roger Stone trial. He was forced because otherwise they wouldn't give him a sentencing day. So these people, their lives, were, as Donald Trump said in the rally two weeks ago, their lives were, were ruined forever. I mean, how can you ever, uh, how can they ever recover from it when they're all called liars because they were all charged by for lying to the FBI? And Mueller made sure of it. They lost all their money, right, their reputation, uh, their health. I told you about Rick's wife. Uh, I mean, they lost friends. They, they, you know, and, and how would he ever go and get a job if he needs to continue collaborating whenever he's called, right? Absolutely. And it's at the drop of a dime. And he may be, you know, taking his wife in for some chemotherapy or whatever she's going through. And he'll get the phone call, we need you in New York now. We need you in D.C. now. He has to hop on the plane or get up there super fast. He's not allowed to stop and get a bite to eat or get a hotel room to rest up. It's up there, and then he's set right back home. And he's got probation for three solid years. And he's Mm -hmm. got to give 500 hours of testimony. So they can go up to the very last few minutes in that third year and say, you've got five more minutes on the clock, and if you say something wrong, just one word wrong, the deal is off. You just wasted the last three years in probation. As Bill, my husband, which we'll talk to you about, Turkey and Erdogan, uh, in several minutes, and I faced uh, in the last year, and, and we talked to Donald Trump uh, and Melania, you know, we see them often privately, uh, and I said my my... I told Rick, and and Bill told him the same. I mean, okay, uh, you got it. You got a plea deal, so unlike Manafort, you are not in jail, but you are in jail. Basically, you are a prisoner. You are their prisoner. Okay, you are sleeping at home. Of course, it's so important for your kids, 
and for you, but but you are a prisoner, and there is no timeline, you know. The the idea that, and don't forget, still there are so many rules that he that you and I I didn't know before I started to write this book to play or not to play the story of Rick Gates and the Mueller investigation and film with him. Like, for example, that the people he's not supposed to talk. I mean, people, he was a deputy campaign manager of Donald Trump. He was a deputy of the chairman of the inauguration. He was very liked because he never seeked for the limelight, and he was very helpful for people. And uh, he suddenly cannot talk to, to people because, I mean, people who serve the Trump administration or the campaign or anything in his orbit because somebody may... Uh, say that he's trying, it's obstruction of justice or tampering with witnesses or or whatever. So as uh, these people are also very secluded, you know. I mean, that was his life. That was that was his friends, you know. Uh, I, I mean, when Bill and I saw him last time in an Indian restaurant in D.C., uh, he walked a few blocks uh, from his lawyer's office, and uh, he, he looked like puzzled. He said, oh, I bumped into so and so. He mentioned two two names from the campaign, and then he suddenly breathed heavily and he said, "Oh, and they were happy to see me. I didn't know if to say hi or not. They were so happy to see me. I mean, could you imagine if somebody was the most so powerful only uh, three years ago? Somebody that you would call for invitations, VIP invitation for the inauguration. For could you pass my resume resume to the transition team? Suddenly, somebody that Somebody who has all the phone number possible on his mobile, and nobody would take his call, and he cannot call. I mean, what a, what a, as it's really his life and his family, as Flynn, Mike Flynn and his family, their lives are ruined. And why? What did we achieve? Well, Bill, feel free to jump in. You know, you get two women starting to talk, and the men just have to sit I know, in the background. I know. <laughs> Bill is going to take over right now. When, Bill, Bill when is just... When you live with one of two women in the same house, how can you talk? <laughs> hey, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, before Bill says, I have to say one thing. One time, uh, uh, the president and the first lady and Bill and I are talking, and the way Bill described it, and we were talking like, you know, like a whole, uh, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes, and the way Bill uh, described it, like Daphne and, and Donald are both New Yorkers, are like machine guns, boom, boom, five topics in one sentence. <laughs> And he said, Melania and I are just trying to get word in, right? But what you guys, what what you guys talking about, uh, you know, the drama involving uh, Rick Gates is actually puts it in perspective where America is today. What happened to America after 20 years of uh, these leaders that we elected, Clinton, Bush, and Obama, uh, we elected them. And they stayed in power 24 years. They brought America down. There was a moral decadence during Clinton time. And there was a military destruction during George Bush time. And now, under the Obama, we lost the economy. And as a result, we lost all our values. What's happening to Rick Gates today is reflective of where America came, arrived, from where it was. It was a great sense, great, great country with a common sense, and everything was, you know, all those things that we cherish about being Americans, and all those values have gone with three presidents, three terms of globalist presidents. And today, we are persecuting an American civilian, simple American, 
family, father, uh, husband, and we are persecuting him like anybody else has been in the past persecuted in the third world country, that we, America, with high values, and cried for them and went to their help. Right now, we are doing it, what we saw overseas, what were happening in the world, we are doing it to our own kind. So we came to such a transformation. We lost such values along the way, at least some of us. Some of us have the values, but some others don't have, and we see it in Rick Gates. Absolutely. Yeah, it is such a, yeah, it, it's such a shame what they have done to these individuals, you know, who went and tried to serve the nation doing something good, electing a president who is succeeding in bringing America back to its roots. And because they're doing that, they, in order to get to Trump, they have to go to everyone else first to go to tear down Trump. And look at what we've got now, the two articles of impeachment that are bogus. I mean, <laughs> What is obstruction of, of Congress? What if he doesn't turn over all of his records or documents, whatever? What are they going to do? They can't do anything. Just hold him in contempt. They're going to send Capitol Police over to the White House and put him in handcuffs? Please. It's not going to happen. It's a joke. I mean, and the, and the country is so, so divided. I mean, it's just, uh, it used to be, Annie, that couples like Bill and I, and I'm sure you and your husband and your listeners, as we said we don't talk about religion because we don't want to fight. Now some couple cannot talk about religion and Donald Trump, right? Because it's like a, a, it's like I've never seen something. Now, I have to brag about Bill for a second. I want to share it with you first. So I have a friend called Steve Bannon. You know him, right? And uh, I brought him to California GOP um, just after he was fired from the White House, but before the whole downfall of the, the, the book, the book, Fire and Fury, that he did a big mistake to collaborate and probably didn't understand the consequences. So uh, he did the biggest for California GOP. Suddenly it was like, wow. All the, beside Donald Trump, which I brought there in April 2016, it was probably the biggest. So Steve Bannon uh, read Bill's book, which I'm going to send you because, you know, it's out only in January. It's on pre-orders. And he uh, emailed me. He said, Daphne, it's fantastic. I'm going to put... I want a whole hour television with him. I disagree with him about everything. I think Erdogan is more dangerous than China, but it's so brilliant that I want to argue. And I said, I'm in, right? Could you imagine what it is? So it will be <laughs> me, January, which, of course, I'll invite you and, and several friends, you know, just to, to pop in. And I welcome it because Benon is very informed, as yourself, and he has his own opinions which uh, Bill disagrees uh, uh, strongly, but it will be a very, very uh, educational debate about Turkey, America, uh, Erdogan, Iran, Syria, and, and uh, you know, by very well-briefed people. Um, both of them are super briefed. Bill is an insider. He talks to both Erdogan and Trump, that, as you know, Bannon does not talk to Trump anymore. But he's very educated, and I, I think it will be a, a wonderful event to just uh, traffic some attention to foreign policy topics that usually are less attractive, right? What do you think? Yeah. I think it's a great idea. But right? You see, the Bannon goes from the 
perspective of Christianity versus Muslims. And I say in the book or otherwise, I say religion aside, we have lots of issues to resolve. Look how the humankind is treating one another. Of all places in America, we just talked about Rick Gates. And uh, that has nothing to do with religion. That has to do with uh, greed and other human qualities that are not, you know, when you overstep the boundaries, it's not good for anything on this planet. And so I talk about it. Forget about the religion. Forget about where people come from. We live in a little planet, one planet, and we all have to live with each other. And look at what happened in the past. What happened to Europe with 30 years' wars? They, had a, they fought each other. Christians killed each other for 30 years in a row. And then what happened? They lost. They had a miserable life in Europe. And the Muslims or Ottoman Turks or whoever came and took over, settled in Europe. It's not that the Ottoman Turks came and invaded them one-on-one, but it happened because of the human problems. You know, they had their own internal problems. So we cannot repeat what happened in the Middle Ages. We cannot repeat what happened in the 19th century. We cannot repeat 20th century. We live in the 21st century. That's why we elected President Trump. He's a modern person. He comes from Manhattan. And he's, you know, he's on, he's controversial on many things. But on the other hand, he's, he's making progress for what is good for human beings, whether American human beings first, and then the rest of the world. He's talking about free and fair trade. And everybody else on the other side of the aisle calling it trade war. There is no war. There is a free and fair trade pursuit on the part of Trump. He's negotiating from the point of strength where he has. He's asking the most, and then he's settling down somewhere between the little less or the middle ground with whoever he's negotiating with, whether this is Russia, China, European Union, Turkey, or whoever else. And this is, you know, and you want to find something wrong with this? You can find it every single day, every single moment. But unless you know how to trade, how to internationally negotiate things, which Trump knows, and neither Obama nor Bush nor Clinton knew anything about these things. They didn't know. I studied international regimes in the New York University, and I, this is what they taught me. This is what Trump is doing. This is what Obama, Bush, and the Clinton didn't know. That's why we are number three economy in the world. Since 2010, it's projected as such, and we will become as such, and then that's, that's our fault. We elected the wrong people, three presidents in a row. We have to accept that. And Trump has to stay in power another eight years, four years, but four more years, another Trump, uh, you know, somebody who's going to lift the flag. And this way, America is going to right the ship that tilted in the 24 years into something that is going to turn it over altogether. Now, I, well, you've Annie been doing a lot. Go ahead. Annie, since we are doing foreign policy right now, I really want to circle back to Rick Gates, funny enough, and talk to one minute about Ukraine, because I think many Americans, you know, have heard about Ukraine right now. They don't. And Funny enough, when I wrote a book to play or not to play the story of Rick Gates and the Mueller investigation, I 
I was very reluctant to uh, include a chapter about Ukraine. I said, who cares? And my publishers, both in the Center Street in America and New Holland in Australia, said, well, we have to know more about Rick Gates. What did he do before and everything? Why would you just include it? And he was so uh, bluntly truthful because that was just a few months before the whole Ukraine scandal uh, happened, right? So how come Ukraine appears in our election before 2016, now uh, 2020? So you may know, and some listeners may, but some not, and it's not because they're not educated, because, you know, uh, it's not a common knowledge. Ukraine, it's an invitation to corruption. What Rick Gates and Paul Manafort did there, they created a, de- a democracy, quote-unquote, like similar to America from nothing. They created a party which didn't happen. The president at that time uh, won the, the guy they were working for, but uh, it was rigged elections, so nobody recognized it. So they created another election as if they had a, a party. They created a party from zero, then... He got the parliament, and then he was elected by the parliament. So this time it was sort of, quote-unquote, kosher, right? I don't know how much kosher, but it was perceived as kosher. Then he was ousted because of corruption at 2014, right? But the same thing, it's a very, very unstable democracy. It happened in all over East Europe. If you remember, Ceausescu were assassinated. The couple were assassinated in Romania. Same thing happened in other countries. It's very difficult after a dictatorship and after such corruption to suddenly install democracy overnight. That's what we tried to do in Afghanistan, you remember, uh, after the war. It didn't work. So it's an invitation to corruption, right? So uh, it's very normal that Donald Trump would say, hey, I want to know where the money is going there, because corruption there, it's like a it's a daily thing. Uh, it's not that because the people are bad, because it's, the, because it's such a vulnerable structure. It's not a dictatorship anymore, but it's not a democracy yet. And, and then the people who know how to play it, uh, and Rick Gates told me something so bluntly in the book, which we're going to send it to you, that <laughs> I don't think he would say today, but it was just, as I said, two, three, four months before the whole scandal with Ukraine uh, exploded, and he said, I didn't like, like Paul Manafort, I didn't like the political game that much. Paul Manafort liked to play uh, politics. He liked to win. Very legit. I understood that's how he and Roger Stone uh, had, had risen to, to fame decades ago. Rick is much younger. He didn't like it. He said, what I liked was the, the format. And what is the format? The format, he said, was that when a, a, new, a new guy is winning an election in Ukraine, and there are other countries like that. So suddenly the people who were, quote-unquote, the foreign investor, friends of the former ruler, are very nervous. Would, would their assets be confiscated? Would there be suddenly legal lawsuits against them? So they needed people like Rick Gates and others to protect them. So we understand their retainers and money and everything. And then... People like Manafort and Gates brought new investors, quote-unquote, because there's a new guy. So the whole thing is corruption. What, and what he said that they perfected the format, he basically for Rick, he said, I just had to endure the political game because I really enjoyed the financial uh, game a- afterwards, right, uh, which was so blunt. I appreciated it. So uh, for us to go after Trump, 
in a phone call uh, saying, I need you to, to clean the corruption, uh, it's very naive because there is a big corruption. And when you and I and each one of your listeners uh, giving money there from our tax money, right, wouldn't we want to know where the money is going to? I mean, wouldn't we want to know that uh, uh, people like uh, Hunter Biden, who I'm sure is a wonderful uh, son, and, and I'm sure Joe Biden loves him, but apparently I, I haven't heard that he had a, a big skills about uh, oil or gas or anything. He's getting something between fifty or $80,000 a month, and who knows what's going on. And you really want to convince me that Joe Biden was a very doting father, uh, did not discuss with his son, son, what are you, uh, how do you live these days? Uh, what income do you have? How are you making money? I mean, it's like normal. You yeah. have kids, right, Annie? Don't, don't you ask them, like, what's going on? Well, I wasn't blessed with children. I do have a stepson. And, yeah, we do okay. ask them. Uh, you do, I right? wasn't blessed. But, you know, oh, you still know what your your siblings are doing, your stepson is doing. You know, you know. You ask. It's part of daily life. What really gets me, though, is uh, my husband and his family were displaced after World War II. They're from Latvia. And when we were, you know, listening to Hunter Biden's story, you know, unfolding, um, it was really crazy because the money he was getting from the Ukraine was then being laundered through several other countries. And eventually, somehow or other, it made its way through Latvia. And Latvia is the one that threw the red flag saying, hey, wait a minute, something is wrong here. You know, this guy is the son of the vice president. He's getting this money from this oil company. It's being laundered through several different countries, including ours. This doesn't look kosher. You know, people don't realize that this corruption was part of the fabric. It was part of the everyday life from the peasant to the tyrant. Everyone was involved. So, Annie, Annie, there's a a thing going around on Twitter, and it goes like this. The Democrats are trying to impeach a president for trying to expose a crime and then elect the person who committed the crime. And that that seems (laughs) to be the modus operandi of the left. They blame you for what they're actually doing, and they actually get away with it most of the time. Absolutely. Go ahead, Dad. Bill, you want to say something? Go ahead. Oh, I agree with it. I mean, it's, I think people don't remember, but because Bill and I have been very close to Benazir Bhutto, the assassinated uh, Prime Minister of Pakistan, and and I did the only interview with President Musharraf and his wife, who who is right now, by the way, uh, has a death sentence in Pakistan uh, as a few days ago. Uh, so we're very known in Pakistan and India and everything. So uh, I followed this uh, police, this uh, area very closely. And I remember when Joe Biden was a vice president, he went to Afghanistan. And he threatened uh, um, the president, Karazi. Uh, he said, I mean, enough with this corruption, enough with uh, everything. We are not going to give you money anymore. So if you're so, uh, and, and uh, you know what, I, Annie, want to give him the credit that he really meant that, right? But at the same mm-hmm. clock, at the same timeline, on his watch, his son, unknown to me and to you and to all your listeners until recently, was getting paid, I don't know, 80000 and some millions from China and everything. So, I mean, 
it's good that you're fighting corruption. It's very good that you told uh, the president of Afghanistan, because Afghanistan, like Ukraine, is another very corrupted place, right? But if it's such a, a thing that you believe in, don't tell me that you don't know that your beloved son uh, is living uh, so lavishly and you forgot to ask him, hey, sweetie, where is this income from? Yeah, it, it's it's the hypocrisy right? that's, the hypocrisy is just absolutely stunning. And you've got uh, Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi that pushed for this impeachment uh, with Ukraine. But very few people know that a Ukrainian arms dealer held fundraisers for both of them, for Adam Schiff, two of them. The plates were going from between one to $5,000 a plate. And Nancy Pelosi, same thing, between one to $5,000 a plate. Igor Pasternak was the Ukrainian arms dealer. And they're in bed with him. And yet they're blaming Trump for trying to rout out the corruption. Oh, wait a minute. Now, I get it. I get it now. They're going to lose their corrupt dollars coming into their campaign if Trump fully exposes it. Isn't that what we're looking at? Could you imagine? I mean, uh, and by the way, to say about Trump that he took uh, photos with this uh, uh, Giuliani to associates. By the way, Annie, you say it looks like a duck. It talks like a duck. A duck. These guys, you couldn't. Uh, I mean, Robert De Niro couldn't couldn't create them, you know, for one of the good fellows. They look like good fellows. They talk like good fellows. They're good fellows. God helps them, right? I'm sure they're wonderful people, but, I mean, really, it's what it is. But what do you want from Donald Trump? I mean, what what does he do when he goes to rallies, right? Everybody that pays more whatever, what we call a VIP, is getting a photo op with him. Do you want him to, to start uh before he takes, say, 100 or 200 photos in an event to start asking, what are you doing for a living? Uh, where are you from? Are you part of the mafia? Uh, do you know anybody from the mafia? Oh, this is crazy. I mean, Hillary Clinton, and I used to be a Democrat, and I used to, uh, I used to host her in my home and everything, which Bill uh, had to stomach for a while until I grew up, right? But Hillary Clinton was <laughs> a, a huge, a huge, yeah, I know, right? And and a huge uh, scandal that she took a photo not only with a, a, a criminal, but somebody that actually uh, was wanted in California, right? It was a very famous story. And uh, funny enough, I was at that uh, fundraiser. It wasn't my fundraiser. It wasn't in my home, thanks God, uh, because I vet people I invited home. But it was some, somewhere else in New York. And even here, even then, I have to defend her on that case because – how does she know? How, how does any candidate know? You know the rule, money talks. Uh, and if certain people are in a line because uh, they paid uh, so-and-so money, uh, they would take a photo. That's, that's, a, that's a Washington game. It's not, not only in Washington, right? Why do people get pay money? Because they want these photos in their offices, on their piano, right? So what do you want with Donald Trump? if he had uh, photos with uh, these people. I mean, it's like we're becoming very... Uh, and the Democrats who are asking it, they know the game. They don't even know if they have photos with people like that. I'm sure they do. Maybe even with the same people, because as you know, Annie, some of these people are giving money to both sides, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the funny thing what, is Trump admitted he, he donated to both sides before he decided to enter politics. Absolutely, you, you know, that's what a businessman is doing. So, I mean, what do you want about these photos? Uh, 
that's uh, a completely... Look, the truth is something else. I remember when Bill and I went to... It was a, a November 7th, right, 2016, and Bill and I flew to London, flew to New York from California, stopped, saw the family, the Trump family, stayed at the Trump Hotel, continued to Israel because I'm also doing specials for the biggest channel in Israel, Channel 2. So we, st- we flew there. When we left, we were hoping he would win. But the feeling was not good. You remember the polls and everything, right? From the moment we, we landed in Israel, suddenly when my mobile came back and they're like, oh, Daphne, could you arrange for me an ambassador and everything? I said, something is going on. I think Donald won, right? But I also got messages at the same five, six hours at the beginning, shocked messages from some of our friends in Hollywood and like, oh, my God, it's probably uh, a wrong, we have to undo it. From the moment he was elected, people in Hollywood, many people, half of the country, which wasn't happy with the result, unlike other times, half of the country wasn't happy, and they say, well, let's work hard for, to elect somebody else in four years. They were already thinking, how are we going to undo it? How are we going to remove him, impeach him, sue him, sue, sue his family, sue that, sue that? And, and, you know, that's what, we are, that's what we are ending up right now. So we had the Mueller report going back to, to Rick Gates uh, and, the, uh, and my book, uh, To Plea or Not to Please It. Uh, Manafort is going to be in jail for eight years. Gates, uh, his life is ruined. Flynn, his life is ruined. Even people, like, has nothing to do with it, only like witnesses, like Michael Caputo lost his house just because of the legal bills, Right. And, uh, but what does it have to do with Donald Trump and his victory? It's just like this frustration, let's punish somebody, let's whatever. Uh, and, and now we have the impeachment, which uh, the impeachment, some of the people use the impeachment from day one. I mean, but there is a, a big Hollywood star who won an Oscar. It's a woman. She's a friend of Bill and I, and we decided not to talk politics just for the sake of the friendship. And... Um, Basically, we saw her here in California, and she basically said it was like three, four months after Donald Trump, uh, Trump won, and she, she was on the stage. She did a stand-up on the stage. It's not, I'm not telling you gossip. And, and she said, what are we going to do about it? We are working to undo it. And I'm looking at her, and I said, are you normal? Oh, we are a democracy. You can undo it in four years. No. Right, Bill? You know what I'm talking about, right? But forget about democracy. That's finished right now. I mean, uh, we are kidding ourselves. What transpired past three years and what America uh, went through in the past 20 years, this, we are, uh, lots of change, lots of things changed. Look, the other day, Mark Levin was on Sean Hannity's show, and he said something. He looked at it as a constitutional expert. Uh, he is, uh, he claims, and he said that based on the impeachment uh, of Trump, uh, I can cite everybody from Theodore Roosevelt to JFK and lots of others, 10 other presidents, should have been impeached. So, conclusion, he said, as soon as the uh, next Democrat president is elected after Trump presidency, whether in eight years, 12 years, And we will impeach. The first thing we will do as Americans on the right side of the aisle, we will impeach. We'll start the process uh, against this Democrat president because we already degenerated the political system in America, which is democracy, but 
look at the democracy, what happened? It is already, damage is already done. I mean, we have to look, as an Americans, we have to wake up and look whether it is what happened to Rick Gates in your book, Daphne, or what happens in my, what I say in my book. I'm a new American in Game Changer. What do I talk about? I say, hey, wake up America. America is gone. America is gone in 2010. And this is our chance with President Trump to recover what we lost, what is going to go all together from our hands. We are going to become number three country in the world, and then we can be worse off than number three. Uh, but we, we have to cherish this moment and elect President Trump one more term and elect another Trumpian president after that. That's the only way we can. And th we cannot do this with wars. We cannot do this with anything. We have to do it by working with everybody else, like President Trump is doing. I mean, President Obama did not work with uh, half of the people that President Trump is trying to work and is working, uh, despite all this Russian collusion farce and this whistleblower policy. And despite that, he is uh, working with leaders, and because President Obama did not work with those leaders, that's what we lost. If you don't talk to the other leaders, and if you don't know how to talk to the other leaders, President Obama neither talked to them properly, nor he knew how to talk. And unfortunately, they gain against us. And President Trump knows how to talk, and that's why they are jealous of him. There is a Republican who is able to do the job, and he's doing a great job, and then um, they cannot stomach it because he's also gaining, making gains, political gains. But unfortunately, we cross that threshold, and we cannot be forgiving right now. We have to be, we have to pursue on the election front. And don't you think the Democrats are going to come after President Trump after the 2020 elections one more time, oh, even though he will win by supermajority? They'll yeah. come again. Absolutely. Not unless we win the House back. Not unless we win the House well, back. I think yeah, that'll put a lot of that. We will win the House, but they yeah. will still come back. They'll find, they'll create something, uh, try to create something to come after us. They aren't going to sit at home. They're going to, they're not going to resign to their fate. They'll come. They are, they'll be more violent. Now, Annie, I have to, no, to brag again about Bill. Um, but by the way, he doesn't know how to promote his book. Could you say the, the, the names of the book? It's Erdogan in Turkey uh, and the uh, Trump Game Changer, right? So when we were in Mar-a-Lago two weekends ago, uh, so we saw Trump daily, of course. We talked to him daily. And uh, uh, Bill had uh, was, wore a hat, not mega, not Make America Great Again, but a hat on his book, like um, Trump Game Changer, right? And I have to tell you something about the president. He just came back at that point from Afghanistan, as you remember. He was tired, and he was immediately at the golf uh, club. And he feels when you go to Mar-a-Lago or go to his club and, and your friends like us, he feels like he's a host, although it's his time to relax. He doesn't have to, to host me. You know, I like to give him privacy. He was so gracious. I was front pages because I'm bringing Roseanne Barr to Mar-a-Lago. They brought John Vogt last year to the big party. So I was front pages. The, the, the host of the party promoted it. He congratulated me, talked about Roseanne, talked about John Vogt, and then he talked about Bill's book, uh, 
and he sold the hat, and he signed three hats of bills. And I think, uh, uh, Annie, I think, uh, tell me if I'm thinking right, I think it's probably one of the only time he signed a hat, which is not Make America Great Again, and he insisted to do that. And he was so gracious that I was thinking, God, the, the man is uh, just flew back from Afghanistan. He, he's facing impeachment, so much hatred, right? Uh, and he has time to ask about Bill's book and sign his hats and be so, uh, and ask how is Roseanne feeling. It's incredible. I'm just very worried about him because this is a guy that we're waking up every morning and has to make the biggest decision, not only for America, but for the the world. And the amount of hatred and pressure that we are adding to the pressure that he has to deal with anyway uh, it's just like enormous. So I mean, uh, instead of and he was, by the way, very gracious to Eric. Uh, Eric Trump uh, was there with Lara and and the babies. And by the way, uh, we are going to hint to your viewers that we are working for an interview with Eric Trump uh, for you. I already emailed him yesterday, and I'm sure he will do it in the next couple of weeks. And you'll get along great. But but. I'm saying he, even Eric came with several young friends of him, and he was posing with his friends. He was acting like a friend, like a father, like a grandfather. And I I just applauded him because I don't think that I could have done uh, the same under so much uh, hatred and cruelty. Uh, you know, it's just just very very concerning. Don't you don't you agree? Well. Well, I you know, do. In, the, I do. in the beginning, when Trump was running, and I would address a lot of um, Republican clubs and, and organizations, and they would say, well, we really don't know about Trump because we don't think he's a conservative. You know, after all, the Democrats, they did court. They tried to court, you know, Trump to run for as a Democrat. So what I would do to counter that, I would say, well, you know, Maybe he isn't a conservative, but he's the next best thing, and that's a patriot, and that's mm-hmm. what we need. And they like that. You know, they understood what I meant by that. Exactly. He's a patriot. He loves his country. Right. And you need to know You need to, to know him. I think his uh, persona, and, and Annie, we're working on a few to do an interview with him as well, uh, uh, not the next two weeks like Eric, but... When you see him, he's very different than he's uh, than he comes across in public. When you see him in rallies, you know it's the rally persona. Of course, he has to appeal to to ten thousand, twenty thousand people. He has to energize them. It's a complete different thing. When Bill and I see him with Melania, or one on one, he's very attentive. Uh, uh, you know, he's very, it's very. What you see is what you get. So he's not. He has a great fake. sense of humor. You know, he's a very down to earth person. When you talk, you talk to him. And what I like, right, I'm, I'm, he likes, to, he likes to engage. He basically, he he would see you, Annie, and he would tell you, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Sometime when I'm talking to him, he asks Bill, what do you think about this, this congressman, Radcliffe? What do you think this? You don't know why he asks, and then two days later, you you find out in the news that he was considering Radcliffe to replace Dan Coates, right? But he. He's really listening to what people say, and I think that's very interesting. That's his thinking process. Instead of thinking it quietly, ask 10, 20 people that, that he feels comfortable, and that's through asking and through getting the answers, 
he's processing it in his mind. Uh, it's just a very interesting uh, a process to watch, you know. So when you are with him, you have to be very alert because whatever you say <laughs> may influence. <laughs> he, he, he absorbs it. He absorbs it. And Pastor Paula said the very same thing about him when she was on the show the last time, that he does ask a lot of questions and he molds things over and then he just absorbs everything you know, like a sponge. Yeah, and that's always yes. fun to watch someone do that. Yes. Absolutely. And and that's that shows you that I mean people that he saw that that when he said things are very uh truthfully people are make made fun of him and I actually take it as a the the opposite way. For example, you remember they asked him at the beginning when he was running and nobody took him seriously. How do where do you get your information about foreign policy? You remember this question, Annie? You remember it guys? Uh, it was and he said the truth. He said, I'm from you guys. I'm watching television. So he didn't say no from so-and-so professor or from so-and-so think tank or, or, or from, I don't know, uh, from a, a BBC, uh, I don't know, high-end whatever, or from so-and-so high-end book. He said it as it is, right? He watches television. He watches many opinions. He talks to people. Uh, and that's how I get it. And people made fun of it. But... Uh, why not? I mean, when he's in Mar-a-Lago in other clubs, uh, the people, uh, why does he have to read all the books if he can talk to the people who wrote the books, right? And you know what happened with exactly. Carter, right? Carter read the most book. He read everything. He didn't, I don't know if he asked any question or not, but when you look at it, the decisions that he made, <laughs> uh, he became the worst president <laughs> because he's similar Until thing Obama. to Obama. Obama. Yeah, exactly. He and Obama. Uh, these yeah. people look like uh, very intellectual people, but intellectual to what? What are you reading? Uh, apparently, Trump is doing something right. Yeah. No, it, it's funny because as I'm talking to you, uh, up above my head on my desk, I've got a picture where I posed with Rudy Giuliani uh, when he was running for mayor. He was at one of our fraternal. Uh, uh, dinner dances when I was in New York City police officer, so I've got a picture of him above me. And i got to mention, you guys have a billboard on Times Square that shows both <laughs> of your books, Game Changer and To Plea and, or Not To Plea, and it turns out the billboard owned by a friend of mine. What a small uh-huh. guy. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. And by the way, I didn't know. It's a very funny thing that you noticed it. I got, we were in New York. My book, uh, the 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 week my book was out, the CBS uh, News kicked it off, and then Fox uh, News, and then uh, uh, you know a friend of mine say says, uh, look, I want you to go to so and so barbecue in Forty uh, Second Street and everything. I reserved a table. Take a couple of famous friends of yours, and, and we were late for a flight. You know, guys, what is it to be late for a flight, especially Friday afternoon? And I said, oh, forget about it, you know, and, and I don't like barbecue, and why would I go downtown and all that? He said, no, you have to. That's my surprise. So we went there with a good friend of ours, Rita Cosby, uh, who's a television host. And, and, by the way, a huge fan of, uh, of you, Annie. I think she's uh, listening to us right now. Hi, Rita. And oh, she really? wrote her husband, wow. a couple of friends. And uh, basically... As we, like, you know, after half an hour, they bring us these huge drinks, I don't know, like uh, like a gallon of uh, drinks, very bizarre, colorful, <laughs> and barbecue, and suddenly the guy is calling me, and he says, look right now at the window, and we looked, and I go, oh my God, he's there, 
It was so funny. So apparently he, I guess, bought the last moment or the last two minutes of every hour. So he said, you're always giving to others. What can I give you? And by the way, it was the best gift ever because of the surprise factor. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it was just, it was so, yeah, so he's, nice. He's a, a small world. He's super. He is super, I, and I, I sent you the message that when his son went through Paris Island Marine Corps Training Depot, um, he had no place to go for Thanksgiving last year, so we had his son over here to have dinner with us. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's a sweetheart. Yeah. Great he's also photo, right? That's, uh... Yep. Yeah. And how'd you like the photo I showed you when we did the Trump rally? How'd you like my boots? Oh, I love that. I love that. You're good. You're absolutely good. You know, absolutely. My God, that's the time. That you have to tweet it. You have to tweet it with your radio show, right? Now, let me ask you right now, as much as we are on air, uh, because you're so good, and and you you almost uh, you wanted to be an actress, which you could easily, right? Why don't you do like what Steve Bannon does, both a radio and a podcast and a television? Well, this is a podcast. It's actually live right now up on Facebook, but I am so a technical idiot at times. I haven't been able to figure out how to do the Skype phone calls and put them on the air to have video of you. I have not figured that out yet. If someone is able to teach me one day, <laughs> I might be able mm-hmm. to do that. But we are actually live, and it will go up onto uh, YouTube no, no, after I, I get off the air. You. I will hook you with the right person who does that, actually does the, the Bannon thing. Uh, uh, and and he's on Newsmax. You can do the same easily. Both Chris Roddy. Oh yeah, why don't you? Yeah, both Chris Roddy, the owner of Newsmax, and this guy Rob C. Who owns the equipment, oh, are close friends of Bill and I. So uh, after the show, we'll do it this afternoon. After it's very easy. Ah, huh? be interesting. Interesting. We're down to our last six and a half minutes, guys. And it's been so much fun to have both of you on together. And I'm sorry, Bill, you hardly talked because <laughs> the girls took over. Well, you, you, you talk put, right now, sweetie. You put me in a position, you know. <laughs> you took <did> good company. <laughs> and you didn't talk either. Both men are like, oh, my God, we're hey, trying, we're trying, right? <laughs> we just like to listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we on the side, right? <laughs> Wisely, wise men, right? <laughs> there you go. What are you doing? How are you going to spend your Christmas? Uh, Christmas I'm heading up very to Philadelphia. Uh, well, okay. if you pass through, stop by. Because Curtis is down in Florida. I'm in South Carolina, and he drives right past me. So, Curtis, stop by, because Yanni and I have I something will. for you. And okay. that way I'll know. We would love that. We would love that. And don't forget to give us your address and everything. We have a couple of birthday presents and uh, birthday celebrations in Mar-a-Lago. And all the oh, okay. usual, you know, all the usual friends. It's it's good because you know we are all flying and we are basically um, getting some time together because uh, one of our friends is even flying from Australia, where I have I'm a senior producer for Channel Nine, 60 Minutes. So uh, Australia is far away. So it's fun to suddenly put everything aside. So these three, four days, five days will be very social, like lunch, dinner, lunch, dinner, and everybody. Uh, the same people go everywhere, and then after five days, you said, okay, I had enough with you guys, and I'm flying out, and probably they had enough with me <laughs> as well. But uh, that's a, a great thing, uh, uh, but I definitely would love to invite you there, and we should definitely stop by. And I didn't forget that Lindsey Graham's uh, rally is February 2nd, right? Oh, 
All right, because uh, no one got back to me on that one. I, I went over and I talked to uh, the GOP of South Carolina chair, Drew McKissick, who happens to be a friend of mine, and he knew nothing about it. So I'll, I'll check with him again, too. We will also so call you from Carolina. We will know first thing. I think he will need help because I saw this morning uh, his Democrat rival, and he was attacking him that he's always on television, but he's never in South Carolina and the whole, you know, the whole lingo. So I don't think anything is going to be for granted this time. No, well, no he's, got, uh, five, he's got five people primarying him. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But we're down to our last few minutes, Daphne and Bill. Thank you for joining us. Daphne Barak, your book is To Plea or Not to Plea. And Bill, Gadansky, your book is a game changer. It's about Turkey and Trump. Uh, excellent. I'm looking forward to reading that book. And Daphne, your book is absolutely awesome about Rick Gates and what our government did, the shadow government, and what they're still doing to the poor guy. God bless you both, and I'll be talking with you both soon. Absolutely. Thanks oh, and for having us. Happy holidays, both Annie and Yanni, right? And uh, we're looking forward to see you uh, in real life. Y'all take care. Bye. Yes. Bye-bye. Right. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. All right. What a, what a show. I mean, it's been nonstop, bing, bang, boom, and it's so much fun. Having the two of them on is just a blast. But that's all we got for today, guys. I want to thank everyone that joined us in the chat room and over onto Facebook also. Um, and Curtis, I'm going to say yes. Merry Christmas, and I'll see you when you pass through. Yep, it'll be on the way back. All right, fine. and we're going to close out with Gary Pecorella, Save America. So I say to everyone, good night, God bless, and very Merry, Merry Christmas. I'm praying for this land I love, America, America, the home of the free, but there are people making plans to change America, they've no respect for her, but what matters most to That's why I stand for the plan and I kneel at the cross. For the friends I best love and lost. And after you leave me, we got each other. the way the life of the party's
America.